0: This is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install.
1: For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on Dobbs.com now. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: get it back big save Bennington as he denied a one-timer off the near wing from Panarin. Kreider up along the wing out of the corner New York holds it in at the blue line passes to Gustafson tons of traffic and a glove save Bennington somehow through four bodies and eight legs snared that glove and made it look easy. Into the circle, looking back door, there it is! And Bennington gets there for the blocker's save and sends a frustrated Chris Kreider back to the bench. Wow, this thing, a
0: save! Yeah, this Blues team is not going anywhere. When you got a backstopper like Bennington, when you're in the zone like this,
3: I mean, he is on top of his game right now. He is seeing everything.
2: I just thought he was really competitive, like, you know, for, for goalies, the competitiveness. What I see is like fighting through traffic and being able to to see those pucks and, and fight them off and his rebound control was, was outstanding, but he was just, he was extremely competitive, you know, being able to fight through traffic and find those pucks that were coming to the net.
0: Alongside Alex from... Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That's what it sounded like right here on your home of the Blues 101 ESPN last night as the Blues get a big win despite not playing particularly well at even strength. 5-2 last night at home against the New York Rangers. Alex, we got to start with the star of the game, and that was Jordan Bennington. He finished that game with 40 saves on 42 shots. He was the number one, number two, number three, number four, and number five reason why you won that game last night at home. Alex, let's get to some nerdy numbers quickly today because this is the way that I operate. You know that. According to Natural Stat Trick, Bennington saved four goals above what was expected in that game last night. In other words, according to the fancy nerdy numbers, the Blue should have lost that game if not for Jordan Bennington being in net and it's just the latest in a trend of games that Bennington has been standing on his head. Against Carolina, he saved three more goals than expected. Against Vancouver and Colorado, he saved one more goal than expected. So you add all of that up, put it together, he's at roughly eight goals above expected in his last four starts for the St. Louis Blues. We've talked a lot about where the Blues are at in this retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. One of the reasons, Alex, why the Blues are able to get away with what they have right now roster-wise is because Jordan Bennington is allowing for that to take place. You didn't play well last night at even strength. The coach called them out on that. But because you have Jordan Bennington in net and he can be a fail safe behind you, it allows you the opportunity to steal games like that at home against a really good New York Rangers opponent.
4: It's the only reason you're still talking about the playoffs right now on January 12th. And as Joey said on the call there, uh, without Jordan Bennington this season, this Jordan Bennington, we're probably talking every day about where the Blues are in the draft lottery potential and if they're picking top five. Because Jordan Bennington at the beginning of the season allowed the Blues to figure out this structure that they were trying to work defensively Jordan Minnington in the middle of the season when the team got bad defensively he started to struggle and of course the fatigue set in and now when we started 11 game stretch the Blues did against all of these tough opponents he has picked up victories against Dallas he's picked up victories against Carolina Vancouver and the New York Rangers and the loss that he had was a 2-1 loss against the Colorado Avalanche Drew Bannister has picked up three victories against first-place opponents, and those three victories have come thanks to Jordan Bennington in between the pipes. I mean, everything about what he is doing right now is showcasing why I've had so much faith in him from start to finish, and it's why the Blues labeled this as a retool, because rebuild teams are looking for fixes in every area. They're looking at their forwards and saying, well, we're not good here. Defense, we're not good here. Goaltending, we're not good here. Retooling teams know they're good or at the top of the league in certain areas. And Jordan Bennington is providing them that faith saying, you know what? We can allow a Matthew Kessel to play 20 minutes a night or a Scott Perunovich to play 18 minutes a night. Because we know we're is going to be there to save him in certain situations. That's how you grow teams. And right now, Jordan Bennington is proving it. And I know I'm probably in the minority. I'd put him in the all-star conversation.
5: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's fair 100%. I, I, it allows you to remain competitive and build some confidence with your guys. Like I, Without Jordan Bennington, if they were relying just on uh, Joel Hofer, and that's no shot against Joel Holfer. He's a rookie in the NHL having ups and downs. But if you had to rely, I'll just throw my guy on the bus. Let's be honest. He's been bad in Detroit. Who so? <laughs> oh, you, no. You're, man, stick with him. You're in a rebuild. You are in a rebuild because you're not going to be able to stay competitive in a retool. You may not be able to allow your team to build some confidence. Because, like, right now I look at this Blues team. Guys, I, they didn't deserve to win that game last night. No. They still feel like they're playing confident hockey, though, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I think that's a big reason for that is because of Jordan Pittington. Because he's allowing you to stay in a lot of games. And in some games that you shouldn't be able to win. Like, last night was a game that... I'm not saying the Blues are a great team but a great team finds a way to win a game without their best game. And that's what happened to the Blues last night. And a big reason for that was their goalie, Jordan Bennington. And I don't think that's a game they win early on in the year. I, I think Jordan Bennington has turned it to the, another level past this Christmas break to allow them to stay in a lot of these games. He's been really impressive this season. I think you're right. I, I think he deserves at least consideration for the All-Star game.
4: The part two with Bennington is those timely saves. And to T-Bone's point, they might not be winning this game Earlier in the season, I mean, I kept track of it. It was 17 times. Every time one goal goes in, you're going to see two or more in a three-minute span. Last night, the Rangers scored the first goal. The Blues, in that first two minutes, had three defensive zone turnovers before they even scored that goal that Adam Fox got. And then from there... They were up one nothing. Kairou ties it. The power play takes the lead. He made multiple saves on Artemi Panarin before the end of that first period that he robbed him with. And then right before the end of that first period, it was a deflection by BK's guy, Chris Kreider, in front of the net that probably should have been a goal. Those are the timely saves that a Blues team earlier in the season was thinking, oh, great, now it's 2-2. This isn't going to be good. But you went into that intermission up to one with confidence knowing Jordan Bennington was locked in. You can tell when he is at that level, when he's seeing those pucks through deflections, when he's making those saves, it's going to be a tough night for the opponent.
0: And I think a big part of it is just rest. Like, I I think a big part of what we're seeing right now is that we are seeing a healthy and rested Jordan Bennington. He had five days off between his start against Chicago and his start against Colorado. Then he has another, like, five or six days off between the start against Colorado and the start against Vancouver. Gets a day off, then goes back out there against Carolina. Then has another four days off Prior to last night's start, I think a big part of what we're seeing right now is they are doing a good job with the scheduling of who gets what starts. Yeah, Joel Hofer, tough night out there against Florida. I I didn't think he played his best game against the Panthers. I think he would have told you the same thing. But you're willing to sacrifice that because Hofer, more often than not, has been pretty good for you this year. And if you're going to get this version of Jordan Bennington when he's out there, it's worth it to give him like 50 to 60% of the start. So, I, I like the way that they're handling these starts right now. I'll be curious to see what they decide to do against Boston. I, I, I honestly would probably yeah, go Bennington. back to, I would go to Hofer. Oh, really? Weekend. I would. I want to see Jordan Bennington rested. I understand that this is a tough opponent and it, you are putting Joel Hofer in a really difficult spot. If you put him out there against Boston, but man, I, I think a big part of what we're seeing is a rested Bennington is a good Bennington. And, putting him out there on another one-day rest. I, I don't know that I would do it, to be honest with you. See,
4: I would go the other side of this one for a couple of reasons. One, I would go Hofer on Monday against Philly because then I'm going to get four straight days off for Bennington before sure. he takes that road game against Washington. But well, the other reason I'd play Bennington is because, one, you're at the halfway mark, You 41 games officially on Saturday, And two, you have been unable, it is seven times this season, to eclipse that four games above five hundred mark. Every time you've gone into that this year, you've lost, and it's gone back down. I think it matters at least individually for a group of players. Like, I'm not sure if the players are focused in on that, but I think as a group, it will feel like something if they're told, like, hey, that's the first time you're above four games above five hundred. at least it's a little bit more of a motivation feel going into it. I just think right now, Bennington's a gamer. He wants to be in there nonstop. The Blues have to find that that tight line of keeping in that competitive edge but also saying like, dude, take a step back. That's why I would play that one against Boston because that's another big opponent and I think that's a good game for the Blues and then you give them four days off. That's how I
0: would probably try and go at this because then you look at the next stretch because I would backtrack it. Like, you got back-to-backs against Washington. You're, you're probably going to split that, right? You're going to go one with Hofer, one with Benner, and that one on Thursday and Saturday. But,
4: again, I would do Benning If you play Hofer on Monday, you go Bennington on that Thursday. Hofer gets a Saturday, and that's four days off again for Benner. And I would just do the opposite.
0: I, I would go with Bennington against Philadelphia, and then I would probably just go right back to Bennington on that Saturday at home. So I'd give him the two home games, philly and against Washington, and I would go with Hofer on Saturday and Thursday. So you're getting a good amount of rest for both of these guys. I'm just keeping both of their legs super fresh right now at this point in the middle portion of the season. I I think you could go either way. My guess, they'll do what you're saying, Alex. My guess is they'll say we're rewarding rewarding uh, Jordan Bennington. He's going to go up against the better opponent, which is obviously Boston and they're going to get him that opportunity on tomorrow night against Boston. That would be my guess. I would just do it opposite.
4: Honestly, the good part about this conversation is, either way, you're you're 29 29 games played right now, 27 games started. If he were to do this stretch the rest of the way, we're still talking about 45 games, and that's the sweet spot. You don't want to get above 50 with Bennington uh, because I think if you get above
0: 50 – Then you start trending into the a little fatigue conversation. You get diminishing returns at some point. Yes, you want him out there. He is your better goalie, but you you're getting a worse version of Jordan Bennington when you start him too often.
4: And I want Hofer getting some reps too because, as we've seen in the playoffs, sometimes goaltenders get hurt. And I'd like my other guy to be ready to go, which is why like this healthy split right now. It's a great thing because you know when Bennington's in there, he's locked in. You're getting the reps for Joel Hofer, and hopefully you could get that one-two punch that
0: every team right now is desperate for. The other thing to keep in mind from last night is the power play.
4: Woohoo!
0: What is your opinion of the power play dance? I hate it so <laughs> much.
4: I, I I like it more than country roads. Does sure. that mean anything to people? Yeah. I just don't understand it. Like, what, you're, you're a plug going into a socket? Yeah. It doesn't work, you know? like I kind of like it. Yeah. I of like a little
5: dance. Little, of course. Yeah, a little jig I, to get I think me
0: it's, going. pretty good vibes. Does that really get you going with this power play these days? Yeah, because right now under under the uh the new coaching staff, they've been pretty good on the power play. New
4: knew
5: it was a problem. Here come over, the text.
0: Miserable human being Alex doesn't the like the power play, play dance. Is 21% under Bannister, which is 12th in the NHL. Under Craig Beruby, it was at 8%, which ranked 31st. In the NHL, they go out there last night, get some nice power play goals. Kyra's power play goals was the first time this season that the Blues, Alex has had this said a number of times, scored a power play goal that gave them the lead. <laughs> they were 0 for 23 in yep. those opportunities prior to last night. Once again, that was the first time in 24 opportunities. That the Blues scored a goal with an opportunity to give them the lead on the power play. So you finally were able to break that streak last night between the power play and Jordan Bennington. That's what won you the game. You stunk at five on five. But because you have Jordan Bennington in net, you were able to survive. And you find a way to move on, live to fight another day. If you're looking at the standings, by the way, Blues are just two points back right now. Of the last playoff spot, there are two teams with Nashville and Seattle that are tied for that last the last two spots in the uh, Western Conference Wild Card. Yeah, dude, Seattle's playing some freaking good hockey. They right have now. both played though one more game than the Blues have, mm-hmm. so by points percentage, it's, it's basically dead even. If the Blues win their next game in regulation, or hell, if they win their next game, they would be tied with Seattle and Nashville for the final playoff spot in the Western Conference. So. Uh, Blue's playing some, some inspired hockey right now.
4: I mean, your power play just showed you the reason that you can stay alive in this one. What's wild about the standings right now, is you just mentioned, one point away from being in a playoff spot, you're two points away from being the seventh worst team in the National Hockey League. Hey man, it is a <laughs> very tight space right now. <laughs> and, and, so
5: and To our point on the goalie scheduling conversation, I think that's why you go up. Ben against Boston. Yeah. Because I do agree separate, with the rest.
4: Separate yourself but from the pack.
5: you got to look at those games. You go, okay, who gives us the best chance to potentially get points against Boston? It's Nobody. Bennington. Who gives us the best chance against Washington? Or can we get points with Hofer in net against Boston? Yeah. My answer probably not. I, what about against against Washington? Though I would say or, sorry, you're more Philly.
0: likely to beat Philly with Bennington in net, and I think you're less likely to beat them with Hofer. And I think the odds of you beating Boston with either are low. Oh, see, I think see, the I odds the of you way. beating
4: Boston is better with Bennington yeah, and yeah, net. Your sure, odds, of how, course, beating Flyers is better with Bennington. Bennington. but I'd say you still have a better percentage with Hofer and Net than you would with Hofer against Boston.
0: Yeah, sure. I'm basically conceding the Boston game is what I'm saying. Why would you do that? I don't like somebody that gives up. Okay. You just beat a first place team. I think you're likely to lose against Boston either way. Wow. I think the chances of you beating Philadelphia with Bennington and net are over 50%. I think the chances of you beating Philadelphia with Hofer and net are below 50%. So I would just be playing the odds here and saying, hey, I'm going up against Washington back-to-back, so the odds are the same. It's the same opponent there. I think I have a much better chance of beating Philadelphia with Bennington in net, and my odds are low against Boston either way. This is not a a shot against the Blues – Boston is 28 and 9 on the seat or 24 8 9 on the season. They're overrated like last year. You They're an amazing hockey team. So were the Rangers and you just beat yeah. them 5 to 2. Coming up in about because 15 of minutes. Binnington. or so, we'll dive into some NFL quick hitters. If you guys want to get involved in the show, 3143999646 is the place to do so. That is the Air Comfort Service text line. You guys by the way, can watch us on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. We are broadcasting live. You'll see it on YouTube. The uh, cams are powered by the Air Alliance team. We are broadcasting live from the EB Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center, where the Blues are taking the ice this morning for Morningscape. Coming up next, the Cardinals are playing a hardball with one of their most important players in arbitration. Now, why would they do that? We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrari and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie, and just a little bit, we'll get to NFL quick hitters, including the big news today, which is that the Patriots have found their head coach, and man, they had to drive far. Yeah, what a serve to be able to find him. Where'd they go?
4: Sweden, New England. I've heard there's some really good Sweden football coaches around there. They those
0: went parts. to the guy that was calling the defense and said, "Hey, do you Matt want to Patricia." Stick
5: that would have been awesome,
0: <laughs> Matt Patricia. Also, apparently, there's a dark horse candidate to hire uh, Bill Belichick, and they might still be playing in the postseason. So we'll talk about Does that. Bill Belichick's son still coach a little bit. He was with yeah. the Patriots defense. Oh, they hired him. They we'll, have two. They we'll have give you the sons. answer to that question. This guy? in ten minutes. That's my tongue. If you couldn't hear. If you guys want to watch, you can do so on well, you YouTube. Yeah. YouTube.com slash 101 ESPN. You know the video
3: of him? Like, yeah. We know,
0: man. <laughs> we, knew, we knew the one you were. Grant, thinking. clip that soundbite for me, please. <laughs> All right, so the Cardinals are playing hardball right now with one of their most important players. Now, I can't believe how many people will, like, Push back against that notion that Tommy Edmond is an important player for the Cardinals, guys. Tommy Edmond has saved their ass each of the last two seasons. Hey, you don't have a second baseman who we can th- who can we throw out there? Oh, Tommy Edmond will save you. Hey, we don't really have a shortstop right now. We're trying to kind of piece things together before Mason Wynn is able is ready. Do we have somebody that can maybe fill in there? Oh, t- Tommy Edmond can do that. Hey, uh, all of our outfielders are hurt. Can somebody go out there and play right field, left field, and center? Oh, Tommy Edmond can do that for you as well. Oh, by the way, his first year he was a third baseman for you. Yeah, Tommy Edmond, super important, a legit Gold Glove caliber, caliber defenseman or defensive player. Anywhere he goes out there to play, yes, his offense leaves a bit to be desired, but he's an excellent base runner. He is unbelievable defensively and one of the most versatile players in, in Major League Baseball. So, yeah, let's start there pretty important piece. But Alex, they're going to arbitration against him. And they're doing so despite there being less than $500,000 in difference between where he posted and the Cardinals posted. (laughs) Now, for those that aren't familiar with the way that the arbitration process works, the player and the team exchange numbers. And more often than not, they end up getting to some kind of a midpoint between the two sides, right? That's what the Cardinals did with every other player that was on their list of arbitration hearings Or it goes to court, and then you just berate the individual. We'll get to that here in just a second. So Ryan Helsley, Dylan Carlson, Jojo Romero, John King, and Kittredge, the newest player that was arriving from the Tampa Bay Rays, they all agreed to a contract based upon the terms that were discussed yesterday between the team and the player. Tommy Edmund did not. The team posted at $6.95 million. Tommy Edmond posted at $6.5 million. So there is a $450,000 gap between the two sides. If they do not reach a conclusion, which they didn't, this then has to go to court. And Alex, we've seen this before. It happened with Jack Flaherty. That got a little bit contentious. It got. It happened with Tyler O'Neill's a, a couple of years ago. That got very contentious. It happened last year with Ryan Helsley. And he said that it didn't necessarily affect him on the field, but it was a little eye-opening to hear the argument against him as a player, which is what takes place. You go into a courtroom and listen to the team tell you why you're not worth the money that you think you're worth. Normally, those negotiations are taking place behind closed doors with your agent. That's why you hire an agent, so you don't have to hear the team talk bad about all of the things that you do poorly. Speaking of Tommy Edmond, man, that's a hard thing to do if you're the St. Louis Cardinals. So, There's two ways this typically goes, Alex. One way, they go to court, and they have the arbitration hearing. Cardinals explain why he's not worth $6.95 million. He explains why he is. And then at some point, the arbiter will decide you either make $6.95 million this year or $6.5 million this year. There is no midpoint to be reached at this point in time. Or, option number two, they come together and they reach some kind of a longer-term agreement. They get a contract extension done between the Cardinals and Tommy Edman, Alex, my question to you, why do you think it is that the Cardinals are playing a hardball with Edmund? Is it because they're trying to reach that longer-term agreement? Or do you think there's something more happening here? I,
4: I hope it's the longer-term agreement, because if something more is happening here, I don't know what it would be. First of all, he's saved your ass more times than not this season uh in the past few seasons even if the offense is only at one side of the plate where would you be without Tommy Edmond filling in all of your massive holes I, I hope it's the long-term extension but knowing the Cardinals past, it's penny pinching and trying to save five hundred thousand dollars because Tommy Edmond's not the quality hitter that they expected and say well let's save five hundred thousand dollars here which if it gets to that point that's just a joke I, I mean you, you haven't been willing to to go that extra mile in certain areas for players and you're trying to keep these guys. You take that into consideration. Sure, you have a budget that's set in place that you feel like it's worth, but negotiation comes in here and to let it go to a court conversation or you've got to point out all the flaws over $500,000, man, that's how you burn a lot of bridges in this game.
5: Yeah, I, I don't think they're working on a contract extension with Tommy Edmund. I because I, I don't – I just see them playing the process out with him, and I think this is a file and go to the arbitration and see what happens, which I agree is, is just an odd way of the penny pinching because it's not even $500,000. It's $450,000. It's not like they're like $2 million separated on, on this conversation, and, and that's why it's so odd because you guys are right. I mean, he has saved their bacon for the last handful of years. I, I looked this up since 2019. His WRC Plus, Weighted Runs Created Plus, he's 1% below league average at 99. Guys, he's top 40 in Major League Baseball since 2019 in war. Yeah. And look, war, what is it good for? But 15.3 war, Absolutely all nothing. because of his defense. Thank you. Um all because of his defense, because he has saved the team. He's been great at shortstop. He's been great at second base. Now he's going to be really good in center field, I believe, going into this season and prevents him having playing Dylan Carlson in center field, who, let's just all be honest, he's not a starting caliber outfielder at the major league level. He's more of a platoon guy. So I, I don't understand why they were penny pinching Tommy Yedman. Um, if this was like they were separated by a mil, mil and a half, okay, I could understand that. I would still try and get – a deal figured out, rather than having to go to an arbitrator where feelings can be hurt in that process. Depending, on pitch over four hundred fifty thousand dollars, it doesn't seem smart from the St. Louis Cardinals. I just don't understand what the point is of
0: this. Yeah.
5: It doesn't make any
0: sense to me. Are they concerned about the wrist? Oh, so your difference is four hundred fifty thousand dollars? We're, we're totally fine with paying him six point five million dollars. Hey, man, if you're not but,
4: available for the first two months, that's my five hundred thousand dollars. of the wrist?
0: No, we're not going to six point nine five. That's silly. It just is it? it? Yes, it is incredibly silly. It doesn't make any sense, the way that they are operating here. And I think this is just the the last in a long line of off-season decisions that make me raise my eyebrows a little bit. Now, if this is something that leads to a contract extension, that would also make me question why they are so qu- frustrated, confused as to what their, their long-term status looks like for everybody else that they're willing to bring in, but they're willing to commit long-term to Tommy Edmund. I don't think it's that. I think you guys are right. I think you have the right read on it. I think they're just being cheap. I think they're not willing to pay an extra $450,000 for a guy that how many times have they told you over the last three to four years, Tommy Edmund is everything that we want the Cardinals to be. He comes out to play every single day. He's always prepared. He's a leader inside of the clubhouse. He's a guy that never makes any waves. He's a consummate professional. When they had a question at third base, what do they do? They turn to Tommy. When they have a question at shortstop, what do they do? They turn to Tommy. When they had a question at second base because Colton Wong leaves, what do they do? They turn to Tommy. What do they do when they had? All of those injuries two years ago in the outfield, early on in the season, they go to Tommy Edmond in right field, saves their bacon there. What did they do last year, midway through the season, when Carlson, uh, O'Neal, and Newbar all proved they were either ineffective or hurt at playing center field? They turned to Tommy Edmond. What are they doing this year to bridge the gap once again to Victor Scott? They're turning to Tommy Edmond. You can't give the guy $450,000 as a thank you? No. You, well, you technically. can't do that for him? If this is Tyler O'Neill, I get it. I understood why they took him to arbitration. I would have done the same thing. If you go to arbitration against Ryan Helsley because the dude never pitches, okay, I get it to a degree. This is difference to me. If you're doing it against Jack, like, I get it. Jack is probably trying to prove a point with what he's trying to get via arbitration. Understood. Tommy Edman, This is the guy you're doing? That's like going to arbitration against Brendan Donovan. Why? Worse, it's
4: like going to arbitration with Adam Wainwright. I
0: just don't understand what you're trying to prove as an organization with this kind someone of thing. It make doesn't a, make sense from a culture perspective, s- if nothing else. Someone
4: did make a really good point. This is why Bill DeWitt III said Cardinals fans need to buy more tickets. You need to pay Tommy Edmund and tell him thank you. Oh, that's, uh, that's
5: $500,000 goes to him. It's interesting because I never see him on yeah. anything when I walk to the ballpark.
4: Well, this is why.
0: $500,000 goes in his pocket if you'll just buy more tickets. Somebody yeah. said, guys, it's amazing how you always assume the name. Why can't you just make me happy when I listen to you?
5: Okay. <laughs> what are you talking Wait, about? Hold on. Don't blame us. We make blame you ownership happy. for not yeah. committing more money to the team we, and the $450,000 they won't give Tommy Evans. I ask this all, all
0: sincerity. What is the positive about not giving Tommy Edman the four hundred fifty thousand dollars? That's the difference between where you're at and where he's at. You could save
4: it. What's and the go, positive? You could save it and go get another pitcher for your bullpen.
5: No, like, you you can. I don't even think that's the league minimum. This yeah. is this is less than what a <laughs> league
0: minimum player makes for you. Like they will give uh, Tommy Edman. I I'll have to look this up. In his pre-arb pool, I think he made more than this via the bonuses that they have allotted to these players, like via the Major League Baseball pool of bonuses that is given out to players. Now, I think he made more than that via that. Like, it's just, it's silly to go down this path with this specific player. If you wanted to do this this season, I'm trying to th- like.
4: I, I Nolan think Carlson Norman. would
5: have been the guy. Like, if they sure. wanted to go to arbitration with Carlson, I would have went. Yeah, okay, I definitely get that yeah, one.
4: Yeah, but Dylan Carlson's not going to go to arbitration. I don't want to hear what they have to say about me.
5: Well, Tommy Edmond should have to hear what they have to say about him. And again, their whole argument is going to be about offense. But again, he is like the scapegoat for them. They can go into a season with, you know what, oh, let's give Paul DeYoung a third try.
0: Dylan Carlson <laughs> oh, <it> was worse <laughs> offensively. Yeah. So I, I it, it just it makes no sense. If I'm Tommy Edmond, I'd be furious right now. Absolutely furious. Like, what do I need to do? to prove to you guys that I'm worthy of the salary that clearly Major League Baseball, the Cardinals are giving him $6.5 million either way. They have guaranteed that at a minimum we will pay Tommy Edmond this season $6.5 million. He filed for an extra 450000 and that's where they're drawing the line? All right. Sorry, man. There's no money for raises around these parts. All right. There's Whatever. no money. It is uh, it is absolutely baffling to me. Alright, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to ask us anything. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service sex line. But coming up next, who's the mystery team for Bill Belichick, and what do you make of the decision that the Patriots made on their next head coach? We'll get to it next here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest-growing alien show out
1: there the unidentified alien podcast
0: or uap for short there's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world and the beauty of it is that i bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe download and subscribe to uap on any of the major podcasting platforms and you can also find it on uappodcast.com
1: we're right back to the PK and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn
0: Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It's time for some NFL quick hitters, boys, because earlier today, there was news that came out of New England. They searched far and wide for their next head coach after deciding, you know what, it's time to come to an end with this relationship with Bill Belichick. And what they determined, the guy that's already here is our best option. Gerard Mayo, their former linebacker, is going to be the next head coach of the New England Patriots. I don't think this is the former New England Patriot linebacker that people thought. Was going to be the next head coach. People kind of assumed that that would be Mike Vrabel. And then yesterday, it was reported that before this season, the Patriots had actually changed the contract status for Gerard Mayo to basically include a clause that he was going to be the coach in waiting in New England. So we probably should have known, had we known that piece of information, that Gerard Mayo was going to be the next coach in New England. Alex, what do you think of the decision?
4: I was surprised by it because I really assumed Mike Vrabel was getting that job. I thought that was the sole purpose of moving on from Belichick, was to bring in another Patriot. I didn't think this was the route that they were going to go. My only thought with it, in tinfoil theory here is, Are the Patriots looking and saying, like, boy, let's not make another Vrabel mistake where we let another former Patriots linebacker go on to have success elsewhere. Let's keep this one in-house and have success with him. Do I think it's going to work? Absolutely not. But, I mean, we've seen success from other coaches that you weren't really sure how it was going to turn out. And maybe they saw the success of an Antonio Pierce, and they're like, man, maybe we should see what he's got to offer they might know that it's going to be a few bleak years ahead for the Patriots, so see what this guy can do, and if not, then you go big, big
5: game hunting. I hate this hire. I'm just going to be completely honest. I, when you move on from 20, what was it, 24 years of Bill Belichick, it's time to start fresh. It's time to go outside the organization, bring in somebody new, an offensive mind, and pair them with the franchise quarterback that they're going to be drafting this year. Again, by the way, after the Mac Jones failure, instead they stay internal with a guy that. Came up groomed underneath Bill Belichick, probably still going to try and operate the kind of somewhat, I would assume, of the Patriot way. I don't, I don't like this from the New England Patriots. They needed to go outside the organization, bring in a fresh perspective. I, I don't think this works out. I, I would have gone, I would have gone big game hunting. I would have gone after the Ben Johnson, does it, a young offensive mind to pair with the new franchise quarterback. Does it make
4: you feel better if they go outside and bring in a general manager? No, they have to. Well, that's they that, don't that, have it, one <laughs> that well, I know. But that's the part that I'm optimistic with. At least you're going to let this guy coach with the Belichick mindset and bring somebody else in who can bring the proper talent in.
0: Yeah, I think the hope if you're the Patriots is that Gerard Mayo's like the CEO type, right? The, the leader of men. He's going to be in charge of the defense to a degree. But I think you're hoping he does for them what at least for a brief period of time Antonio Pierce did with the Raiders right. where he clearly has a connection with the players. He's young. People seem to really love Gerard Mayo. Like the the reports that you hear out of New England is that that dude is a great leader. And so maybe he becomes, you know, what John Harbaugh is in Baltimore, what Mike Tomlin is in Pittsburgh. But you got to get it right with your your coordinator hires if that's going to be the case. And so this becomes a question of, okay, what are his connections? Who is he going to hire to be the offensive and defensive coordinator? We just don't know yet. I think there's a lot to be learned still on the Mayo hire. I always am skeptical of the let's keep it in house hires where you're just promoting a guy that was a part of the staff that failed spectacularly in recent seasons. So I'm skeptical of it. I too, uh, T-Bone would have gone outside of the organization to try to make a different kind of hire at a very minimum. You get a boost in energy, but people seem to really like Gerard Mayo. So maybe it'll end up working. I would have gone a different direction. Speaking of Bill Belichick, that's his former team. What is his future team? Well, there was a report that came out yesterday that there are teams that are currently participating in the postseason that depending on what happens with them, this playoff stretch, they could end up making a move with their coach to bring in Bill Belichick. Alex, when you hear that, is there a team that immediately came to mind for you of, okay, this is probably who they're talking about Dallas?
4: I mean, I don't know any other team that we'd be talking about right now other than, yeah, they're going to leave the door open because let's see what Mike McCarthy screws up, and then we'll fire him and bring in Bill Belichick. we have got one other team.
5: AFC or NFC? NFC. Jacksonville?
4: Nope. Detroit? Nope. No. What Green about Bay? Philly? Oh. Oh, that
5: makes You've sense.
2: You've
0: got a young, star-studded defensive line. couple of good corners that are a little over the hill. Sound like Bill Belichick defense? Very. And an offense that's basically plug-and-play, man. You bring in a solid OC. Got A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, uh, Jalen Hurts. Got a couple of running backs. and Listen, you could draft another one if you really wanted to. We know how this works. Plug-and-play at running back. Pretty good offensive line. And I can add Bill Belichick into that mix. Man, next year with him at the helm, they can win 13 games. If I'm the Eagles... I am very curious to see what happens on Monday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because if this goes poorly once again and they end up losing against that Bucs team, I have to make a serious decision on am I really going to run it back with Nick Sirianni when I've got Mike Vrabel and Bill Belichick and Ben Johnson as my offensive coordinator hire that's potentially out there available as a head coach? I've got all these different candidates and I'm going to stick with Nick Sirianni? I don't know, man. I think this postseason is very – this playoff game specifically is very important for Nick Sirianni's future in Philadelphia. Text line brought up the Bills.
5: I, that's, that's where I one, thought too. maybe you were going to go AFC, if you said AFC. Bill to the Bills. That would be just chef's kiss, him staying in the division. Oh, you know, but you know, like, he's
4: Jordan-esque to where he'd be like, yeah, I'm going I'm to yeah. screw these guys over. The,
5: the thing that I would just kind of – and I don't even say I'm pushing back against Bills because, like, I could totally – Potentially see it. I just don't know if they have a the roster that's four Bill. Well, Belichick. and
4: if I'm them, and I'm going to move on from McDermott, I'm looking at like a Mike Vrabel or something yeah. like that before I'm going to Belichick. Yeah,
5: because I, I think when you look at the Bills, like how. If I said right now, what are the percentage chance you think Stefan Diggs back in Buffalo? I'd honestly be at 50-50 <laughs> right now. Honestly, I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, And that defense isn't very good. What do you mean? So what, he loves his is, is Buffalo potentially a, if they said, you know what, we got to move on from McDermott? I think they're a better fit for Mike Vrabel. I agree. I, I totally agree with you guys that Vrabel's a better fit. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, like, if I'm Belichick and I look at that roster, and there's, I mean, we can all see it from the outside. That Stephon Diggs. It's skeptical if he's going to be there. Defense isn't very good. If you're Bill Belichick, do you want to go to Buffalo. Like I, I think it's much more likely if Cowboys, him, Eagles. Would you,
0: if you have all of these options, Buffalo, Philly, and Dallas. Let's assume that all three come available, and LA is an option for you. Where would you want to go?
5: Dallas. Dallas. I, I think or got the, the Chargers. Roster. Or yeah. the Chargers.
4: I think Chargers got a really good defense for a Bill Belichick, and you get the weapons in place.
5: Yeah, I, I would. I would take the Cowboys because I know Dax, the franchise guy, there in Dallas. I think Herbert is too, but I've become a little more skeptical of that over the last handful, the last year. I I would definitely say Dallas. And I think they've got, I mean, they've got the best defensive player in the world right now. And Micah Parsons, I
0: would go Dallas one Philly two. Philly would be my second choice because of all of the talent they have on offense, And they've got a really good defensive line, man. They've got some real pieces there that I would love to see Belichick work with, but, you're telling me, I can see him work with Micah Parsons. Yeah,
4: but we know, and
0: that's we know that's with draft
4: history. Up. Bill Belichick does not like talent on the offensive side, i.e., Mac Jones, Nikhil Harry.
0: Not a fan. But that's the thing that's so nice about working with either Dallas or Philly. You've already got the talent on Yeah, but will probably trade
4: it away to get better defensively.
0: <laughs> All right, final thing. No, that's only Mike Vrabel. He does that with A.J. <laughs> Brown.
1: Well, uh, he didn't do it.
0: Final <laughs> thing here uh, for some NFL quick hitters. We'll get to ask us anything on the other side. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. There's some big injuries that are potentially going to have an f- effect on this postseason. A bit, of, a bit of news, by the way, on that front. Mark Andrews has officially been designated to return from the injured reserve. Oh, now, back. all that means right now is that he can he can practice with the team. I am skeptical of him playing in that first round, that divisional round. Well, why for the- would you with how good Likely's played? Sure. I-, I do think he will be back, though, at some point this postseason if they win in that first game. So, uh, big news for them. Mark Andrews is a big-time piece for them offensively. When you look at this weekend, Alex... Injuries are going to play a big factor. The Dolphins are super banged up, and they're about to play in negative 30-degree temperatures in Kansas. Oh, baby. So the Steelers are going to be without T.J. Watt this weekend. The Eagles, it seems like their entire offense is hurt. Jalen Hurts has a finger that is bending the wrong way. A.J. Brown has issues. We've seen the issues that have arisen over the last few weeks for Devontae Smith as well. What is the injury that you think will have the biggest effect on this weekend's games?
4: I think it's going to be the Miami Dolphins just in general I mean pick your poison mine would be more on the defense because like and I saw somebody was doing an interview with Vic Fangio about this like how do you how do you pass rush Patrick Mahomes because all of these guys are out and he's already so dangerous when you get him out of the pocket and now you don't have Chubb you don't have a majority of your defensive players so I, I would say Miami because if Miami loses it's not going to be because we're like oh this team's just bad it's because man what could have been if they just would have had all of their defensive players available?
5: I would actually go with the Philly injuries because I I agree with what you said about Miami, but I just view them as a paper tiger that now that they've shown up in the playoffs, they have no hope and to sucks in the cold. So <laughs> I, I, I look at Philadelphia and I go, they, even though I'm skeptical of this team, they should be favored like they are against Tampa Bay. But Hurts has got a finger issue and he hasn't practice and throwing the ball is now <laughs> going to be tough and A.J. Brown's got a knee and still hasn't practice. Look, man, I don't like your um, skepticism. Um, Your defense sucks, so we can't rely on that. Our offense, our quarterback, like you said, one finger's pointing the wrong way, and Brown may have to jump around on one leg. Um, I'm worried. Jump around. Jump, Uh, jump, jump, jump around. I'm really worried about Philadelphia. I actually might take Tampa Bay this weekend against the Philadelphia Eagles because of the injuries. They are so lucky they're
0: playing Tampa. Yeah, So incredibly And Baker's hurt, too, by the way. Because Tampa looked awful last week. They could have lost to Carolina, and Carolina is atrocious. That team was all-time bad, and they've got a quarterback that can't see over his line. He's he's T-bone size, trying to play in the NFL. So, come on, man. You're smaller. I'm with you. It is the Eagles that it it gives me the most pause, because they should be an obvious pick. You should go into this weekend and say, you know what? I'm not sure what's happening in the majority of these games, but I'm pretty confident that the Cowboys are going to beat the Packers, the Bills are going to beat the Steelers, and on Monday night, the Eagles are going to beat the ever-living hell out of the Bucks. I can't say that. I feel that way about the Bills, although the the weather has me questioning that I definitely feel that way about the Cowboys I think they should beat the Packers I have no idea if the Eagles are going to beat the Bucs or not at this point I would probably take the Bucs but I'm leaking confidence because the Bucks are bad as well so that that's the one uh that gives me the most pause all right coming up in about 15 minutes or so we got to have a conversation about Jordan Cairo ladies and gentlemen last night gets the hat trick I thought this was something that was always coming and it's why I was never really all that concerned about him I know the two gentlemen to my left and right have a differing opinion on what we have seen so far this year from Jordan Cairo and what it means for his future. We'll talk about that coming up here in just a little bit. Ask us anything coming up next here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's Questions and Answers on 101 ESPN.
0: Inside Alex and T-Bone on BK3143999646 is the Air comfort service line for Ask Us Anything. Bring it on to the damn air right now. What? What you just told us. I think I'm going to try being
4: a vegetarian. <laughs> the mo- don't actually, try it in your snooty voice. I think I'm going to start <laughs> trying
0: to be vegetarian, gentlemen. We watched a documentary the other day. Well, that was your first problem, man. And uh, it was about the way that chicken and uh, meat in general are raised in this country, and let's just say it ain't great. So uh, I think I'm. I it think took you, a documentary for you. to I know I was gonna that? say that's that you needed that. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Guess I'm at a place in my life where I uh, I'm easily skewed by something like that, and uh, I think I'm gonna try it, man. No, you're not into it. Hell no. I understand how that stuff is made, but you know what I
4: don't do? Watch how that stuff is made. I yeah. just try not to think about it. Yeah. But, hey, anybody who who is, good for you. I applaud you because you're you're much healthier than I am.
0: Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything from the 314. T-Bone, you're out on this one, but me and Alex will help you out. All right, from the 314. Boys, I'm in the thick of it. I've got a two-and-a-half-week hold at home. Give me some encouragement. Alex, what is your encouragement for somebody that is at home right now with a a two-and-a-half-week Oh, it stinks
4: right now, but push through because in a couple of weeks, or in BK's case, a couple of months, uh, you'll you'll be starting to get more sleep. They will start being able to be more playful. uh, And that first time that you start seeing a move around or that first time that you hear the giggle, it's all worth it. You forget about the exhaustion that comes with it. Uh, you forget about all of the frustration that goes into it when you start to see their reaction that's where it all is paid off.
0: Last night Luca woke up at 2 2.30, 30 330, 445 and six o'clock and then he woke up at seven o'clock and he was up for the day smiled at me yep. and everything was fine. yep that's it like that that's the way that it goes man you're you're, you're in the thick of it and it gets better. And then you get to, like, three months, and it just kicks you in the ass again with that sleep regression. And then it gets better. And then you get to six months, and they start teething and sleep regression. Bam! Hits you like a ton of bricks once again. But they're so much fun, yeah. dude. And the smiles, the laughing. I So far... This is my favorite stretch, but I've I've said that at every different turn. As he's continued to get older, I keep saying, like, this is my favorite stage of where my son is at. He is six months old right now, and it is so much fun. Yesterday, he's starting to understand what his dog is doing. And so yesterday, Belle, our dog, was playing with her tennis ball. She goes and plays fetch, basically, with her tennis ball in the house. And she she likes the squeaker balls, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so she's going back and forth and squeaking it as she's bringing it back to me. He is busting up laughing, like belly laughing, while he's watching her play ball. The best thing ever, man. So you're you're getting into it. You'll yeah. It, it just if you'll, you'll s- be all right. It's just it's hard. It's it, a lot it, of work. It's
4: the exhaustion and like I I remember that because I was always just so down down and done. Uh, But like when you recognize that it's the exhaustion that is part of the frustration, you just push through it. You just and then again, like PK mentioned, like the first time you start to see their reaction, man, it is the best feeling in the world.
0: 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. Uh, Let's get to this a little bit of news on Jordan Hicks. According to a report. He signs with the Cardinals. He has signed a four-year contract with the Cardinals worth $44 million. Not with the Cardinals. With the San Francisco Giants. First of all, good for Jordan Hicks. That is one hell of a contract, Seriously. man. Seriously. Um, Yowzers. I think it's a good fit for him. I think they will utilize him in a really positive way. There is no chance in hell I would have signed this with the Cardinals. No. Zero chance I would have gone four years for, for sure. million is a ton of money for any reliever, especially one that's been as erratic as Jordan Hicks has been. But hey, man, good for him. Kudos to the player. Get what you're worth, man. Whatever somebody's willing to pay you, that's what you're worth, but I would not have done this for the Cardinals.
4: No, uh, that's I don't need, like, if I could have done one year with an option of 11 mil, I would have been fine with it. But, man, four years of that. We've seen the inconsistency here in St. Louis with Jordan Hicks, and I'm just not sold that that's going to go away. So good for him, though. That is
0: the fourth most guaranteed money by any relief pitcher in Major League Baseball right now, behind Diaz, Iglesias, and Robert Suarez. So big-time contract for Jordan Hicks.
5: Yeah, good for Jordan Hicks. I I, I agree with you guys. So I, I wouldn't have done the car, the deal if I'm the Cardinals because four years for a guy that has been erratic and look, he figured it out last year. Maybe that maybe that's going to happen for the next four years of this contract. And if it is, that's a hell of a deal for the San Francisco Giants. But I agree with Alex. Call me skeptical if he's not going to lose it at some point because he throws 102 and his stuff is just so nasty. It's hard to figure out where that thing is going. So I, it's interesting deal from San Francisco. I. That's a that's I, a, I, that I, screams I would desperation. love to listen to Giants like San Francisco Sports Talk Radio today and see how fans are reacting to that signing. Oh, this is interesting.
0: According to Jeff Passan, he's expected to work as a starter. Oh, <laughs> what? Oh, oh,
5: okay. Well, okay.
0: so never mind. Forget the fact that I just said he was going to work as a reliever. Uh, that is really interesting. Yeah, just... uh,
5: Cardinals tried that. They 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 didn't like what they saw. We were just talking about that today before the show.
0: <laughs> I I will be curious to see how that goes. Um, yeah, good luck with that I hope he has success I, I would say this is one of those things to me kind of similar to the Reynaldo Lopez contract that was signed in Atlanta where I think what you'll see is he tries his hand as a starter maybe fills in in that capacity for the first 5-10 game for, for 5-10 starts of the season and then if it goes poorly you just immediately put it back into the bullpen
5: I um, would just have him in the bullpen that's, all year long
0: <laughs> All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so Alabama is officially out on Steve Sarkeesian, on Mike Norvell, and maybe, just maybe, they're going to hire the Washington coach. What's going to happen with Alabama from here? And is there an opening right now for the University of Missouri to run through? We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, we've got to have an honest conversation about Jordan Kyru here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the P.K. and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Blues cleared out to Thomas. One-on-one in on Lindgren. Carries wide. Buttons up. Looks for the trailer. Kyru. Score! He didn't waste any time. He caught it. Shot it. Scored it and the blues have tied it one one here's kairu with some speed over the line to thomas wing. butchnevich to kairu he scores a backdoor tap in on a spectacular pass from butchnevich and kairu has two and the blues lead two to one it's a power play goal it's a breakaway kairu coming in for the hat trick he shoots he scores if you've got a Chuck it in your radio,
0: because they're flying to the ice at Enterprise Center. Three goals for Cairo A hell of a game last night for Jordan, Cairo alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK. We've got Grant Francis back in the studio for us today. We are broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios. At the Centene Community Ice Center, that audio courtesy of your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. That's what it sounded like last night, as the Blues get a nice win against the New York Rangers. Alex, we talked about our big overall thoughts about the game at 11 o'clock. If people want to go hear that, they can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, or the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by... Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I want to spend some time talking about Jordan Cairo in the greater, grand scheme of things. Because, yeah, great game last night. Hat trick. Finishes with three goals in that one. He's now up to 12 on the season. He is suddenly back on pace to finish with 25 goals and 65 points this year. Pretty close to what we were expecting from him going into the season. Alex, I, I am curious though. Where are you out with Jordan Kyrou? Because I, I said yesterday, yesterday, two days ago, whatever it was, earlier this week, I, I expected this. I, I thought we would see some regression in a good way for Jordan Cairo. Because his shooting percentage in his full seasons with the Blues, 14%, 14%, 14%. This year, he was at 6% prior to last night. That's going to normalize. And when it does and he gets closer to that 14%, he will convert on more of his chances. You will see the goal-scoring production go up. But I'm also a nerd. And so I'm looking at it from that perspective instead of the uh, hockey-watching perspective of, yeah, but look at what he's doing right now. So from your perspective, what are you seeing? from Jordan Kyrou this season? I mean, I'm seeing an improved player. There's no question or argument with that.
4: Grant had the tweet um, last night of what Kyrou has done just under Drew Bannister, and even the tweet that Grant put out about his play under Craig Berube, significantly better than what it was last year. The offense isn't there. So he's an improved player, there's no question. But he's also a streaky player, and I understand that streakiness comes with the territory of being a goal scorer, but streakiness shouldn't come with the territory of being an eight plus million dollar player and that's where the frustration lies on it because as great as it was to see him score that goal last or those goals last night I mean frankly the kid could have had a hat trick in the second period he's had three almost goals just in the second period alone but prior to that game last night we're also talking about a player that hadn't scored a goal since the Chicago Blackhawks game and to me we talked about having a top line and your top line having to be there every single night, and it just can't be on the defensive night. Sometimes you hope that it's just a wash, and it makes sense when it's a wash, but more times than not, you need that top line to to grab a hold of the game and say, we're the better team, and I'm not sure Jordan Cairo is doing that at the $8 million level. Now, he's 25 years old, that can continue to grow, just like Robert Thomas did last year, but I've seen a lot of streakiness with Jordan Cairou this season and maybe he's putting more emphasis on his defensive game and haven't had the chance to talk with him about it. I'm gonna go to skate on Saturday and hopefully I'll get the chance to chat with him. But like I'm looking at what this season was, he had a ten game streak with zero goals, he had a six game streak with zero goals, and he had three four game streaks with zero goals understand if it's a goal scorer, but how are you impacting the game otherwise? And when I look at guys that have comparable contracts to Jordan Cairo, I look at guys like Jason Robertson, I look at guys like Kevin Fiala, I look at guys like Clayton Keller, these guys I look at and say every single night you're expecting some type of offensive output from them, and if they go silent for a couple of games, you know it's going to come right back. This season it feels like when it goes silent, I'm not sure when it comes back.
5: Yeah, and that's kind of where I am at with Jordan Cairo this year is I know he's going to go through stretches where he's not scoring goals, but what's he doing when that's happening? And in the most recent stretch, a six-game stretch without a goal, two points in that stretch with two assists. Can can you be more of a playmaker even though you're not scoring goals? And, and look, maybe maybe that ends up maybe that ends up not being his game. But for what what you said in his contract, I expect a little bit more consistency and not so much just in goals, but just by the the points itself. So I I think defensively he's taking a step forward this year. I think the goal scoring, it's probably going to come. I do agree with BK. It, it, it does feel like regression is going to come in a good way, but it's during those stretches of games where it is like, man, I just, it doesn't feel like he's on the ice. It, it just feels like, okay, for $8 million, I feel like I should be able to say, this is what I'm going to get night in, night out with Jordan Cairo. And I still don't feel like you're at that point with him. Man,
0: I just, I think this is the way that it goes. And we always overestimate what other goal scorers on other teams do. Like you mentioned Kevin Fiala, right? This season, in the month of October, so that was four, six, eight, nine games, he scored one goal. He continued there, in his next three games didn't score a goal. So he had one goal in the first 12 games of the season. So far this season, he actually has fewer goals on the season than Jordan Kyrou does. He has 10, Jordan Kyrou has 12. So he's been as inconsistent this year as Jordan Kyrou has. And I'm
4: sure people in L.A. right now are probably feeling the same way we are.
0: And it's understandable. But again... That's the way this goes. Did you know Karel Kaprizov this year has one more goal scored this season yeah, than that year. Jordan Kairou has so far this year? Mm-hmm. Did you know that Dylan Larkin, guy that has a very similar contract to Jordan Kairou, has 34 points on the season, 14 goals? Jordan Kairou so far this year has 12 goals, 30 points on the season. Like, the guys that are making similar money for the most part produce pretty similarly to what you're seeing right now out of Jordan Kairou. And I I think we just sometimes expect too much out of a guy that is 25 years old that's making 8 million dollars and he is going to be inconsistent like Alex DeBrinkert, right? A guy that profiles kind of similarly to what we're seeing with Jordan Cairo Not a great defensive player, mostly on the ice for his pure goal-scoring production. He's been a better goal scorer this year than Jordan Cairo has, but there's been times in the past where that hasn't been the case for Alex DeBrinkert. So, I I don't know, man. I for me My personal opinion on the matter, and I can't tell anybody else how to feel about this, but for for me, I I get frustrated with how people approach goal scorers in general because I think we always are expecting them to score in every other game. And it feels almost to me like what we do with baseball players where we know how this is going to go, and yet in the moment it feels so horrible because guys fluctuate. There are very few baseball players that are a 300 hitter from start to finish. That was Albert, right? He was a machine. You look back at some of his months by month and it's like, "Oh my god. Uh, month 1, 330. Month 2, 312. Month 3, he was down, man, 301. No, month 4, 325. Every every month he was a great batting average hitter. That's not how it works for most guys. One month they're a 300 hitter, the next month they're a 200 hitter, the next month they're a 270, the next month they're 230, and it comes out in the wash. They hit 260 on the season. It's what it is for goal scorers. They'll go through a 20-game stretch where they score two goals. And then in the next 20-game, they'll score 13. And it's just it's weird, and you can't predict how or why it's happening, but they just got to keep shooting. It's like three-point shooters in the NBA. They're going to go through a dry spell at some point where they shoot 12% over the course of a month. And then the next month, they're going to shoot 50%. There's no rhyme or reason as to why. It just happens that way. So, I don't think Jordan Kyrou is like the greatest player since sliced bread. I'm not trying to suggest that he is. I just think a lot of the things that we criticize him for are things that you could criticize most of the goal scorers that profile the way that he does in the NHL. The, The thing about
4: hockey, though, is it's such a team sport that if you go silent, you still have to be on the same level as your teammates, and you can't disappear. To where, like in those other areas, when you disappear... It's okay. They'll find ways to pick it up for you. But man, hockey, and, and we'll go back to to the Armstrong comment when we talked about Robert Thomas and the Selke candidacy. And he said, "Yeah, my goal is to put the type of players with him so that he gets those awards." And I'm not saying Kairos not that player, but right now, it seems like you're still searching for somebody who can break games open every single night with Robert Thomas. But and those there are,
0: guys make twelve million dollars, not eight. The guy that you're some talking of them, about, that's there are a game eight million
4: dollar guys that may, that. Break open games though, like Jake Gensel's going to make eight million dollars and, and he breaks games. I think he's going to make more than
0: that. I think he's going to. Kyle
4: Connor is end. making eight million dollars and breaks open games. I and and some of these guys are superstars, and we're just uh, we're not on that same level yet. But it's not even the goals, and it's not even the assists. It's putting the puck in right places so your teammates can come away. I think with that's offense. Just being young though.
0: Like I I view Jordan Kyrou he's twenty five right years old, and this is the third full season. I, That's still really young. And I know we want it to happen like that, man. I know we do, and I don't blame you for it. I get frustrated sometimes watching Kairou. I got frustrated last year watching Robert Thomas. I did. I watched him some nights, and I'd be like, man, that's the guy? That's the guy that I'm supposed to look at and say, okay, so he's a future number one center, top of the league. And then this year, hot damn, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, okay, that's a number one center, one of the top guys in the league. And it just clicked. I don't know why. I don't know what changed for him. But something clicked, and now the defensive side of things are coming to him. And the goal scoring is there. And he's always had the ability to distribute among the best in the NHL. So I I view this right now, we might be this year where we were last year with Robert Thomas. And I know they're the same age. They're not the same on the development curve, though. Robert Thomas was here before Jordan Kyrou was. And he was a more well-rounded player earlier than Jordan Kyrou was. I think the other things in Kairou's game this year have been better. I think he's improved on the defensive side of things. I think he's improved on pucks. I think he's improved at putting the puck in the right areas. He's not great at any of those things, but it's better. And if you continue taking those marginal steps forward, if you're Jordan Kairou, I think you're going to like the player that you get when the Blues are back into contention mode. You just got to be really patient right now with him. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be frustrating. There's going to be nights where you look at it and you say to yourself, man, that's the reason we lost is because Jordan Kairou made a terrible decision. But if you stick with it, what you might get on the other side is a guy that's consistently scoring 35 goals for you with average-ish defense and can play top-line minutes for you at $8 million. The, and that's a hell of a thing to be able The question
4: is, how long are you willing to stick with it before it starts to hinder your opportunity to exit out of the retool? I don't think it's
0: hindering you at all right now. I, I think At, it's at $8 the, million, I think, I think he's giving you exactly what you're paying for.
4: I think for. it's part of the reason
0: you're a 500 team, because your power play hasn't been successful, and he's your goal scorer. Yeah, I, I would say that... It, I think you've got a lot of reasons why you're a 500 team right now. Specifically, the bottom nine forwards in this lineup are not producing.
4: Understandably so, but again, $8 million. I look at those guys and say you've got to break the game open.
0: And And right now he's on pace for 25 goals despite having a terrible shooting percentage. If he just improved his shooting percentage to what it has been in his career, he'd be on pace for 30-plus goals again this season. And if he does that, I think we're going to look back on it and say, that's what we expected, 30 goals. Otherwise, maybe we're being unrealistic about what he's going to be. If we think he's going to be a 40-goal scorer every season, maybe we just need to adjust our expectations. Maybe he's not going to be that. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK, coming up next, is there an opening right now for Mizzou and the SEC? We'll talk about it here
1: on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: is about to get real interesting alongside Alex and T-Bone MBK. Alabama right now is in a state of upheaval. Nick Saban decided to retire the other day. Now they're going around trying to find their next head coach. It feels like every day there's a new coach that announces, I'm not going to Alabama. I got an extension instead with my current school. Today, that coach is twofold. One, Norvell with Florida State, and two, Sark with Texas. Both have announced that they're going to be sticking with their current universities. Alex, we've seen teams like Alabama, programs like this, go into a bit of a downward spiral after big-time, all-time great coaches leave previously. We saw it with Tennessee, Florida, Nebraska, USC, Texas. Now Bama is about to try to avoid something like that. If you're a Missouri fan, you've got Alabama on the schedule this year. You look around the conference – Ole Miss pretty good, but I wouldn't say that's like a blue blood program. LSU looks like they're on their way back with Brian Kelly in charge. Georgia's really, though, the only program that I know no doubt about it. They're in a great spot for the next decade. Is there an opportunity here for Mizzou if they end up having the right guy and drink to take advantage of it? Yeah,
4: if they can keep finding more money to deal out there, why not? But, yeah, I mean, I think when you got the right coach in place, when you've got a, a at least core of roster ready to go – There absolutely is an opportunity to take advantage of this. And, I mean, that's why we're talking about this team prior to Blake Baker, you know, not bleeping, going anywhere, of being one of the top teams in the SEC and potentially doing some damage in the playoffs because it is so wide open right now. And now with this coaching carousel, you're looking at a scenario to where all of these players are available looking for that new home, and then who's the next big thing? Who's the team that, if I... If I'm a player available via transfer portal that I'm looking at and I'm saying, you know what, if I go there, not only does the program take that next step, but my name's attached to it. And I think that's the opening that Mizzou can have, a team that's always been the...
0: The sleeping giant in the SEC,
4: and now with this team that's ready to skyrocket,
0: why not? You look at the schedule for this upcoming season, and one of the two games that I had circled was Alabama because that is one that could go either direction. Now with Nick Saban not being on the sideline for them, it might be Tommy Reese, their offensive coordinator who got run out of town at Notre Dame. I think this is even more of a reason to believe that Missouri in 2024, this is your year, man. You have got to capitalize. And it makes that defensive coordinator hire that much more important. Eli Drinkwitz has got to hit a home run with that hire. And I'm thinking more and more every day, you can't hire internal. You got to go get the best guy for the job, even if that means potentially losing a linebackers coach, a defensive ends coach, et cetera. You got to go out and get the right guy for this job. Big time opening right now, taking place for the University of Missouri. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to dive into the junk drawer, but next, man, we've been looking forward to talking with this guy for quite some time. Buster Olney is MLB insider for ESPN and ESPN.com. Want to get his thoughts on the Cardinals offseason thus far, where they fit into a loaded National League at this point in the offseason, and what did he make of the comments from Bill DeWitt III the other day? We'll talk to Buster about all of that and so much more next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Alex and T-Bone, on BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And it's always a good day when I see that we've got Buster Olney on the guest list for the day. He's the Major League Baseball insider for both ESPN and ESPN.com. You, of course, see him on Sunday Night Baseball, which the Cardinals will be featured prominently in early on next season, including their game against the L.A. Dodgers, which will certainly be a lot of fun to watch. He joins us now via the 101 ESPN hotline. Buster, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing?
6: I'm doing great. Uh, I'm up here in Montana. It's minus 26 here this morning. Oh, ho, so oh. Uh, it, uh, a little chilly. <laughs> so,
4: so, so Buster, the real question is, would you sit in that in the evening for an entire football game? Yeah.
0: What are your thoughts on
4: that?
6: I, I just thoughts and prayers for all the players and the fans, <laughs> more importantly, the fans, because they don't have the, you know, those big war, you know heaters sitting by the bench. Boy, that, that is going to be a test of, of, uh, of real fans versus just crazy people.
4: Amen well, to
0: that. Buster, I I was uh, offered tickets from my dad. I'm originally from Kansas City, born and raised there. I am, I am a Chiefs fan myself, and so I was offered tickets from my dad for free. Don't have to pay or anything to go to the game, and I said, no way in hell. No, no chance. You could not pay <laughs> me enough money to sit outside for three and a half hours in that kind of weather. All right, we got to talk a little bit about the Cardinals, though. Uh, this weekend is the Cardinals winter warm-up where they do the whole uh, getting everybody excited. Fans are going to this big event uh, to kind of kickstart what is going to be the 2024 st louis cardinal season buster when you look back on what they have done this off season thus far what was your reaction to what they did with their rotation specifically
6: yeah so i, I think look Sonny gray there's no question is an upgrade over what they had you know and, and when he's healthy when he's right he's going to be a ground ball machine it'll be a nice fit for the the team that they have he's a guy who can front the rotation um but, you know, when Lance Lynn and Gibson, I don't know if they necessarily upgraded that much, you know, and I, look, who am I? I'm just an idiot sports writer. I called some evaluators, other teams, and asked them when I knew I was going to come on with you guys, hey, tell me what you think of the Cardinals' rotation. And what I got back was, it looks like a lot of replacement level type, type, uh, additions that they made. Um, and some of the feedback that I got was about the pitching staff, they're going to have to score a lot more runs. <laughs> You know, because the feeling is that if they're going to, you know, be a better team than they were last year, that part of the team, the lineup, just simply has to step up from, you know, ranking 19th in runs scored to somewhere in the top 10, given the fact that they don't have a dominant pitching staff. And there are no signs that that's necessarily going to take place in 2024.
4: Buster, I know you have some familiarity with uh, with Sonny Gray. We've heard a lot about him and the person that he is coming to the Cardinals and the potential of what he could bring to this rotation. Can you shed some light onto that?
6: Yeah, you know, and we both went to the same college, so I've known Sonny since he was a, I want to say, freshman sophomore at Vanderbilt. And I mean, he is a terrific leader, and he's a great team guy. And when he went into free agency, I remember thinking. You know, knowing how much he valued, you know, values being close to home in Tennessee, that he was going to wind up with the Braves or Cardinals, That seemed like a fait accompli, So the idea that he wound up with the Cardinals, not a shock. He, he's he's going to be a great positive force for them. Um, I, I, you know, for me, a terrific heir apparent to what Adam Wainwright always brought to the table with the pitching staff, because it always felt like. No matter what Adam was going through, he was going to be a you know positive voice in the clubhouse. And I think that's exactly what Sonny's going to be.
0: Buster, how do you, how do evaluators look at Sonny Gray? Because I, I think there's kind of mixed reviews here locally where a, a lot of fans say, yeah, I like Sonny Gray a lot. I, I don't know that he's a number one starter, though. And then you see like the Major League Baseball top 10 right now from MLB Network. They had him 10th on their list of the best starters right now in Major League Baseball. His numbers over the last few years certainly put him in that kind of regard. How do you how do you, how do evaluators view him relative to his peers?
6: Yeah, and I think that fans maybe their perspective on him is colored by uh, you know what happened with him in the Yankees. He was just not comfortable in New York. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, the Yankees sort of uh, you know they, when they traded for him, they hoped that he would be a guy who would be the front of the rotation. They thought he absolutely had the right stuff to do that. Um, but then, you know, as as Sonny got booed when he had some bad outings, he just didn't react very well to that. And if you guys remember, there was a trade deadline. There was some speculation maybe the Yankees would trade him. And then I think what they learned after the fact was is that he probably would have been comfortable moving someplace else, and they shut him down for the rest of that season, basically. Um, I, I just think that there's some players who are – you know, a good fit in New York and some who are not. And I do feel like that when people talk about him, you know, they 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 take in take that year into account as opposed to look at all else that he's accomplished. And he's led pitching staffs, you know, when he was with Oakland, uh, you know, he, he had big games against guys like Justin Verlander. He was terrific last year with the Minnesota Twins. I, I, I think that if he didn't have that blip of a time in New York – he would be looked at as being, you know, by uh, all the way around as being one of the best pitchers in baseball.
0: St. Louis is not New York, and I understand that on the front end in terms of a media market. However, the, the expectations are exceptionally high when you're playing for the Cardinals, more so probably than in Cincinnati or in Minnesota. How do you feel like he will fit into this market, Buster?
6: Very well, um, and he does remind me a lot of Adam in terms of his personality. In terms of uh, you know someone who's going to take responsibility the front end of that rotation, I think he'll be good there. For whatever reason, I mean, let's face it: if you're playing for the Yankees and you're a star player who who comes in from the outside, you're going to get booed. Juan Soto is going to get booed by Yankee fans, probably on opening day at Yankee <laughs> State and he strikes out his first plate appearance. And, you know, Sonny's going to have a lot longer leash with the fans in St. Louis. And, uh, you know, I think he'll just go back to... He'll continue to be one of the best pitchers in baseball.
4: So, so, so uh, Buster, I know you talked about how, you know, it feels like the Cardinals very underwhelming. The talk, though, of course, is the Central has not done anything in the National League. No. Do you feel like this Cardinals team could do damage? Or do there need to be upgrades if they want to go anywhere?
6: Well... I think that they need, uh, some of their young players to establish themselves once and for all in the big leagues. You know, whether, whatever, you know, this will be the year that they really need Jordan Walker to come out and hit 30 home runs, uh, and to establish himself. They need Dylan Carlson to establish himself and Brendan Donovan and et cetera, Lars and I, And I think one thing that's going to help with that is that they need to make decisions. When you look at the Cardinals over the last five years and we write, you know, 10 years from now, we write, okay, what happened with the Cardinals uh, from 2018 to 2023? I think the one thing we can say is they really didn't do a good job at making hard decisions on their young players. You know, a couple of weeks ago, the, the Atlanta Braves traded Vaughn Grissom, who's a you know, talented young player, to the Red Sox for Chris Sale, in part because they felt like, you know what, Grissom's not going to fit here. We already have a second baseman under contract. we had got a shortstop under contract. We traded for Jared Kelnick, So we want to take advantage of that player's value while he still has value. And what you see with the Cardinals is this drip, drip, drip erosion of the value of some of these young players. I think it's important this year that the Cardinals settle on what they're going to do with these, you know, with these guys that they have. Uh, and then if you know, they feel like that you know, player X or player Y isn't necessarily their first choice – then be aggressive and move them and take advantage of the value in a way that the the, uh, Braves did with Vaughn Grissom. It's so interesting
0: you make that point. That's something right after we saw that move was made, uh, Buster. I I don't know that the Cardinals could have done something similar for Chris Sale specifically, but we talked about how that's something that the Cardinals haven't done and that they need to do. They need to be be aggressive to get some upside into this rotation, and that's what I wanted to ask Buster Olney of ESPN.com about next. When I look at this Cardinals rotation, I I love Sonny Gray at the front end. I, I think they've got plenty of depth now that they've been able to accumulate. Yeah, their replacement level but at least they know where their innings are coming from this season. I question who's that number two guy. I I don't think you have the upside going into a playoff series against the Dodgers, against the Phillies, against the Braves, to be able to stack up one through three in your rotation compared to them. The place where they could find that buster is potentially on the trade market, but not many of these guys have been moved thus far. What are you hearing from other teams about, if there is any movement that is expected to happen on the starting pitching trade market prior to spring training.
6: So basically what you hear from other teams is is that if you're going to get Corbin Burns at the Brewers, you're going to have to go in there with a a pick and a shovel and a whole boatload of prospects and pry him away from the Brewers. Uh, And let's face it, it becomes more complicated if you're in the division. Uh, If you want to talk about Shane Bieber, you know, the Cleveland Guardians probably have as good of a trade record as any team in baseball in the last uh, ten to fifteen years. You're going to have to go and pry him out of there. Dylan Cease is going to get traded, but the problem for the Cardinals um, and you know any team involved in this is that it's a really competitive situation. You've got the Dodgers involved, the Yankees. Even after signing Stroman yesterday, they're going to continue to monitor the you know Cease uh, trade conversation. You're going to have to outbid teams, and that's. You know, it takes me back to what my point about the erosion of value in their young players. You know, let's say if if we turn back the clock and two years ago they made a hard decision on Dylan Carlson where they were to say, you know what, we we don't see him fitting into our outfield. We got this, you know, Walker coming up. We've got this player. And we want to make a decision while his value is still at its highest. Um, They would have been in a much better position. I don't know if they necessarily. You know unless they want to dig into their, their uh, best prospects in minor leagues right now uh, are, would be able to do that. Um, I always think that there's a disconnect between you know what fans believe the value of a former number one pick like Carlson is in this moment uh, compared to how the industry views them because we've seen the erosion of their performance in their years in the big leagues the last uh, since 2021-22.
4: In your opinion, Buster, what's the value of an Nolan Gorman in a trade? Because that's the one I've brought up a lot. That if they want to get a starting pitcher, that might be the point that they got to get to.
6: Yeah, uh, I, uh, the one thing I'd say, you know, I hear a lot about the Cardinals guys is is that the de- the defensive challenges mitigate the value. Uh, and I and I can't give you that because let's face it, each team is going to you know evaluate the prospects uh, differently. Uh, I agree with you. I think he's a, again. If he's not going to be in there, you know, for 500 play appearances, make a decision on him, move him. uh, It's clear that with Tyler O'Neill, it felt like they just moved too slowly.
0: Yep. And they were always waiting for more. Like the, we, we wondered if they were going to be trading him, and they were like, well, we, we need more value for him. Well, you're not going to get more value. It, that, that's not right. coming as you hold on to a guy longer. Or with Dylan Carlson, like you mentioned, we, we need more value for him. Okay, but as you continue to put him on the bench as your fourth outfielder, teams are going to see that and say, okay, well, they don't view him as a starting outfielder. Why should we? It, it's strange the way that they continue to hug on to not just their prospects, but guys that are on the cusp of the big league. And one of the things that's the backdrop to all of this right now, Buster, is uh, this is a league-wide thing, but it is specific to the Cardinals as well. The RSN situation, where these teams don't know where that money is going to be a year, two years, three years down the road. The Cardinals president, uh, team president, Bill DeWitt III, made some comments the other day to John Denton of MLB.com, basically saying, hey, listen, we're, we're basically at our max capacity right now when it comes to our payroll because of the uncertainty that's on the horizon with these RSNs. What are you hearing on that front, Buster? What, how much of an impact is that, those, are those RSNs having, whether it's for the Cardinals or elsewhere, with teams and what they're doing this offseason?
6: Yeah. So the point was made to me actually by a baseball executive yesterday that uh, you know a lot of the owners you know have built their fortunes uh, because they're relatively conservative with their money, right? They're careful with they're managing their money in the business that that got them into the situation, and they're going to want more certainty with the with the TV situation. Now, without going into the weeds of it and the particulars. There is an expectation in the industry is that we are going to have clarity before the start of the season. You know, maybe in the next few weeks uh, about the RSNs and what's going to happen going forward. And when that happens, I do think that with some teams, the Texas Rangers are looked at as the primary example. of This you're going to see a loosening of the purse strings, and you will see more money available um, early in this offseason. There's no doubt some teams like the Rangers have been careful because they want to make sure that the TV situation uh, is in a place of certainty for them. And, and just to, you know, double back and finish up the point uh, about the young prospects. it's not only, you know, you keep a guy in the big league roster as the fourth outfielder and his value goes down, his service time continues to go up, yeah. <laughs> which is a huge problem because, I mean, shoot, you've seen in, in, the, in recent years, Teams absolutely do what they can to hoard the guys with, you know, zero to two year service time while making harder decisions on three and four. That's what's been disappointing about the Cardinals, that they've had a number of these young players uh, accumulating service time without hard decisions being made on what role they're going to play with the team.
0: Buster, final question that I've got for you, and this will go more to the National League as opposed to just the Cardinals. I, I respect your history of the game as much as anybody, and when you look at what the Dodgers are doing right now in terms of the accumulation of talent, where's this stack up for you in terms of the best teams that you've seen assembled for with star talent?
6: I mean, it's right up there, uh, you know, right near the top. You know, I covered the '98 Yankees for the New York Times that you know, for me, it's going to go down in history as the greatest team ever. And, to, you know, they won 125 games, including the postseason. Um, you know, and at the core of that team, you had all those young players, you know, the Jeters and the Posadas and Andy Pettit, Mariana Rivera, who came up through their farm system. That's kind of what the Dodgers have done. They have mastered the ability to, to, to draft and develop players. You know, Will Smith and Walker Buehler, um, and on top of that, they have the financial resources to go out and get a Mookie Betts uh, and a Freddie Freeman and to sign Shohei Ohtani. Uh, they they maximize their excellence at all levels. Um, and I would say though, if you were to, you know, it's kind of a fun barroom conversation uh, where you know you can ask, would you take the Dodgers or would you take the other twenty nine teams to win or to win the World Series? I would take the other twenty nine teams. Yeah. I think Dodgers are going to win a ton of games this coming year, but I still have questions about their rotation.
0: And we know how the baseball postseason works, right, Buster? Yeah. The the Arizona Diamondbacks (laughs) just got to the World Series, so who who knows? I'll take the other 29. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Hey, Buster, appreciate the time as always, man. It's great to catch up with you. Uh, Be careful out there in Montana with the negative 30-degree temps. Hopefully we'll talk with you again soon as we get closer to the baseball season. All right, guys. Always fun. Thank you. Thanks, Buster. got it. That's Buster Olney, one of the best in the business, MLB insider for ESPN and ESPN.com, joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Want to react to a couple of things that we heard there from Buster Olney. We'll get into the junk drawer as well coming up next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. A Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario.
5: Brought to you by Fenton
6: Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week.
0: Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK, normally we would dive into the junk drawer, getting something non-sports related here. We are not going to do that today because we just talked to Buster Olney, ESPN's MLB Insider. Guys, for people that missed it, it's well worth your time. Go listen to the full like 15-minute conversation. 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs
4: Tire and Auto Center.
0: We're going to talk more baseball with John Morosi of MLB Network here in just a little bit as well. But Alex, what was your biggest t- takeaway from our conversation with Buster?
4: I mean, it was him talking about the erosion of Prospects in the blue system, or blue system the Cardinal system, and how they let that just continue to grow over time with their expectations, their hype, and it doesn't match up to what others around Major League Baseball look at. Um, Tyler O'Neill was a reference he brought up. Dylan Carlson was a reference he brought up. And talking about a team and comparing it to how some of these other teams operate in Major League Baseball that say, like, hey, we're ready to start winning and maybe we just need to move on from these guys, it might bite us in the rear end and it might not, but they're effective with it right away. While the Cardinals, for some reason, don't understand, the longer we sit on these players in hopes that they become something important to our team, the less we're going to receive on the other end and if we want to upgrade our roster then we got to start li- stop living on hope and start living on making aggressive moves i loved what he said about it and frankly it falls right into the line with me about nolan gorman Again, I understand there's a lot of hype with it, but how long is that hype going to be there before it's lost, and then you're not able to get back what you thought you could?
0: And he brought up the Atlanta Braves as the antithesis of that, as they just made that move Von Grissom to the Boston Red Sox for Chris Sale. Von Grissom, previously top 100 prospect, was seen as the internal shortstop of the future. Then he got passed up. They decided to move him before he loses some of that prospect value. T-Bone, what was your biggest takeaway?
5: I agree with the prospect thing, because it is interesting that the, and we've been saying that for a long time. The car- have got to make the decisions on their prospects. What is the role of a Thomas J.C.? You've got a Brendan Donovan, you the guy, Gorman's the second baseman right now. What is Sejaci's value? Can you get more for him in a trade rather than just sitting on him and see what happens? And it's funny because they used to be the team that did that. Think back to the outfield mix. Piscotti, now that was a different situation yep. kind of, but they, they traded Piscotti. They said Fam's not in the outfield long term, so we've got to trade these guys to free up spots for other guys here. And ever since the Arena training, they've become very gun-shy. They very much are conservative. And I I thought the other thing that was interesting is him saying he doesn't know how teams would value like a Gorman because of his defense. And I think that's interesting because we talk all the time about, could you trade Burleson for something? Well, teams are going to look at him and go, well, that's probably just a DH. Maybe a first baseman. I think you're seeing a lot of that. Juan Epez was a guy we mentioned this in the past about. Well, could you trade him for like a reliever? Looks like a lot of teams are looking at some of these Cardinals pieces going, man, they're not very good defensively. I don't want just a bat. We value defense now.
0: And my biggest takeaway was what he said. Rival evaluators around the league are talking about when it comes to their pitching. He said it looks like they've got a lot of replacement level pitching right now. They're going to have to score a lot more runs. That's how we feel on the outside looking in. It's good to know that that is how other teams view the Cardinals rotation as well. And it's not just us. Being more critical than what is fair because we are close to the situation. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, what is the level of importance for this Blues team to make the postseason? We'll get into that. But next, John Morosi, MLB network and NHL network broadcaster. We'll talk to him briefly about the World Juniors, what he saw from Jimmy Snuggerud there, and what he makes of what's taking place on the free agent market right now. Can he believe Jordan Hicks got four years and $44 million from the Giants? We'll talk to him next year on 101
1: ESPN.
0: Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studios out at the Cintine Community Ice Center where the Blues had morning skate earlier today. The Blues had a bunch of prospects, though, earlier this month. In Sweden for the World Juniors. And John Morosi was broadcasting for NHL Network as a part of their coverage for the World Juniors. He joins us now via the 101 ESPN Hotline. Many of you also know John for his work over on MLB Network. And we'll get to the Cardinals and Major League Baseball here in just a bit. But, John, I know you look forward to this every year as the World Juniors take place. You got to see our guy Jimmy
3: Snuggerud up close and in person. What would you think of him? Yeah. Well, first of all, good afternoon, Alex and Brandon and and Tanner. Great to be with you guys in the great city of St. Louis. Uh, Yeah, it was amazing to watch Jimmy Snuggerud's play during the course of the tournament. And and then, of course, he gets back to the University of Minnesota over the weekend, has a massive game, a hat trick. (laughs) So clearly, he's got that gold medal. He's inspired. uh, And and I I look at him as being right on the cusp of potentially being ready to, to sign after the season is over. And I think that... Of course, the question of if he wants to do it comes up to up to him and his family and the Blues and what they want to do. But in terms of his readiness, uh, there is, of course, an example of Brock Faber, who you've seen certainly in the Central Division as well, playing so well for Minnesota. He came back for a third year and stepped right into the playoffs and played great for the Wild. So uh, there may be a case for Jimmy to come back for his junior year next season. But the bottom line is he is playing great on an outstanding trajectory – I think his goal scoring showed up in the big moments in that tournament and, and it was a delight to watch that team USA who really has such great cohesion as a group that group of players played together for two years at the USA Hockey National Team Development program and Jimmy Snuggerud, or snuggy as he's known to all of his teammates, just a, a, a really a, a popular teammate and I, I've, I've had a chance to talk to Jimmy now on uh, multiple occasions an elite shot and just a true gentleman and, and you're going to love to get to know him in St. Louis. He just has, I think, a tremendous personality. He's going to fit the city exceptionally well. Very much a team-first guy. He's got a lot of talent, a lot of skill, but he's never someone that draws unnecessary attention to himself. So he's, he's, I think he's going to fit perfectly with the Blues and the organization and really help this next generation of great Blues teams advance forward.
4: John, you've been covering these World Juniors for some time now. You've seen a ton of talent at that level. What did you make of Jimmy Snuggerud's shot in person?
3: Well, it's elite, and I've been able to see him play, I think, probably a half-dozen times in person now uh, through games at the University of Michigan and elsewhere, just getting a chance to see his shot up close. And, and, and he has had that shot, that elite shot, since he was a high school player in Minnesota and it got even better and better at the, at the USA Hockey National Team Development Program, where they do such a great job to, to bring in young players and then have them train at a high-level place. And, and Brian Gallivan, who they really admire so much here in Michigan, to train these players to where Jimmy came in with the skill, and then I think he got even stronger, bigger, faster, and so the release got even better, sharper, quicker, uh, he's one of those guys, I think, much like his teammate on, on Team USA, Cutter Gocha, it's on his stick and it's off his stick very quickly into the back of the net. And, and that's an instinct for the game. That's hard to teach. He certainly grew up around the game, as you know. His father, uh, NHL player, a uh, legend for hockey in Minnesota, his grandfather as well, So he's grown up around the sport. He's a third-generation player who's worn the red, white, and blue now uh, on the U.S. national team in some capacity. So uh, Jimmy's just a first-class guy. And I would also mention this, talking about Team USA in St. Louis, if I want to mention this as well, on Monday, 4 o'clock Eastern time, NHL Network, we, we go to the next realm of the future. So the players who have not yet been drafted. And so we've got the the Chipotle All-American game on NHL Network, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. So these are players who are eligible for the draft this year and also in 2025. And that's where we have the story of Shane Bansagi from St. Louis. And he actually is a member of the uh junior blues organization. He's played there for a number of years, but he has now come on and played very well at the U under-18 level this season. Uh, He's draft eligible in 25. He's committed to go to Michigan State, and and he is a big, physical, strong young man. I had a great conversation with him last week and really impressed by his character, the way he talks about his game. Uh, I think wanting to be at that physical presence, think maybe like like a younger Pat Maroon style of a player with really good hands. His nickname around the program has become The big show, because he's a big guy, he skates well, he's got some finishing talent. So we're talking about Jimmy Snuggerud, already a Blues draft pick. And wouldn't it be great if Shane Vansaghi becomes a Blues draft pick in his hometown as well?
0: St. Louis producing some legit NHL yeah. talent in recent years John so we're, we're, this is just the latest in a long line of exactly. NHLers to come out of this area it's, it's becoming quite the pipeline you can watch insider John Morosi on MLB Network's hot stove weekdays throughout the offseason and, of, and of course as you just heard on NHL Network programs as well alright John let's turn our attention to Major League Baseball the Cardinals have their winter warm up this weekend here in St. Louis so we're starting to get prepared for this upcoming season, they seem to be pretty close to being done, if not all the way done, with their offseason moves. According to Bill DeWitt uh, III and some of the comments that he made earlier this off or earlier this week, uh, John, when you look at this Cardinals rotation and what they started with versus where it's at today, how do you assess their rotation?
3: I think it's brought the rotation up to a competitive level in the NL Central. Do I think that they're going to win a seven-game series against the Dodgers this year? No, probably not. But can they win the National League Central where the Brewers, their rotation is not what it was a year ago. Uh, the Cubs, I think they're basically even uh, where they bring in Imanaga and Stroman signs elsewhere. Uh, the Reds are better. Uh, so I think it's they're going to be able to compete. I think overall – I would say this, the, the, and you know this. I'm not telling you any breaking news here. The, the Cardinals' overall performance relative to expectations and talent was somewhere in like the ten to 20th percentile of outcomes last year. They just they had a bad year. We all know it. Uh, obviously, I, I, I saw a number of Cardinal games last year in person. You guys saw more than I did. I don't need to tell you that. <laughs> but what we do know Unfortunately, is, John, unfortunately. Exactly. You were there. You lived it. But w- what I'll say is this. John Moselock at the GM meetings told us, we need three starting pitchers. He went out, and he got three starting pitchers. I think Sonny Gray, perfect for what they need. I, I, I do think you bring back someone in Lance Lynn who certainly knows the organization. Gibson, a great Midwesterner as well. I think he's going to be a really good fit. So you look at this group overall, uh, it, it, it does feel like a bit of a changing of the guard the first time and really – a couple decades that they have not had someone named Pujols Molina or Wainwright on the roster. It's kind of a, a remarkable new start for the organization. And I, I think too the O'Neill trade had to happen. Obviously there was some friction there. Uh, and I, I think that there was, they almost had too many outfielders last year to where there was not a lot of consistency. We do need to know exactly what Edmund's going to be, what, what uh, Carlson's going to be and those questions. I do think Nolan Gorman's a star and is going to get even better. I think is going to have an even better year in 24 than he had in 23. Uh, Goldie is Goldie. So uh, this team is, I think, a lot better than they looked last year maybe you add one more reliever there's still a ton of relievers out there i was really intrigued by the news today about jordan hicks being a starting pitcher and going to the giants that's going to be a lot of fun to watch how that idea unfolds and certainly i think very highly of jordan as a person and as a pitcher but uh, you look at the cardinals overall there there maybe we'll get one more reliever just because there's a lot of supply still out there but this team is is close. I mean, they're close to being what we believe they're going to be in 24, and that is, for me, a much more competitive team than we saw in 2023.
4: We've talked a lot, John, here on the station that the the starting pitching is the, the biggest concern going into the season. Is that your bigger concern for this Cardinals, is if that starting pitching can hold up?
3: Yes, because I, I do think that that's the foundation of success, and it has been for a long time with the Cardinals. And and I, I do think that when you have a rotation that's more dependable, you're allowed to use your bullpen in better situations. And I, I go back, you know, Jim Leland, the Hall of Famer, I can say that now, which is fun to be able to say that about Jim. Of course, he spent his time as a Cardinal scout working with Tony back in the day. But Jim always said a good bullpen is one that you use when you want to and not when you have to. And I think that is so true. Obviously, the Cardinals had much more of a have to use bullpen situation last year, and and I, I almost think that every time it's there are exceptions here, but when you have a bullpen that is just that is treading water from day one and no one can really get the proper rest and you got to extend a guy here and, and when are you going to use Helsley there, they never got on track. It was just it was a constant struggle for them last year, and I think that at the very least, Lance Lynn will give you innings and Gibson will give you innings, and I think that that. Process uh, while it may sound a little old-fashioned, I think it works. And I think when your rotation delivers innings, uh, you know, Lance Lynn, if he goes, you know, this won't go down as a quality start. But if he goes five innings and and three earned, five innings and four earned, maybe sometimes, or maybe or more better, you know, more optimally, six innings and and four earned, if that's what it ends up being. The bottom line is, it's a competitive start. May not be a quality start, but it's a competitive start. And, and I think those, those kind of starts you're going to get from Gibson and Lynn to where you're not having to compromise your bullpen mid-game. Um, and, and I think the Cardinals believe they've got some talent coming. I can't wait to see what Jordan Walker has to offer. I can't wait to see what Mason Wynn has to offer. This is a team that I think is, that there is some young athleticism in this organization that I think 2024 is going to be a better venue to see it come out and flourish at the major league level than what it would have been in 2023.
0: John Morosi is our guest for just another couple of minutes here on BK and Ferrario. You can see him on MLB Network and NHL Network. You can follow him on Twitter at John Morosi. John, anytime I see you on MLB Network in the morning during those hot stove shows, I know something good is about to take place. We're going to watch something that is compelling. And you've been talking all offseason about Dylan Cease. You've been talking about the Mariners, the Marlins, teams that could be out there potentially with some starting pitching to trade. What are you hearing on the starting pitching trade market right now? And do you hear the Cardinals brought up as a team that's still at least treading in those
3: waters? Yeah, it's a great question. I have not heard much about the Cardinals being aggressive for a Dylan Cease right now. Obviously, at the moment, they've got a full rotation and feel as though they have enough in-house options right now. I do think that the Cardinals, in a very low-key way, because of the way they had to pursue things at the deadline this past year, they were able to bring in enough capital and prospects that they could potentially make some moves if the right situation evolves. And I think that Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson, in particular, were not signed with the idea that they're going to be a rotation mainstay for the next five years. They're there to at least give them a, a solid first two thirds of the season, and then if if the Cardinals look at their depth and say, "Wow, we're starting to see." this guy's running out of steam a little bit. This guy's running out of steam. We need some more help. Then I think there'll be players at the right times, whether it's for one of the Marlins arms or Dylan Cease, uh, or potentially one of the, one of the Mariners arms and the Mariners, I think have a really good fit uh, with the Cardinals where you could think about a uh, position player for pitcher type trades. Uh, one of those classic questions. If the, if the offer is Jordan Walker for Logan Gilbert, who says, no, it's going to be an interesting Cardinals. conversation. I think, they're right well yeah so, that, so it's interesting if i if I were to be on the radio today in Seattle and i said that they'd probably say Seattle's going to say no which is why which is one of the reasons why uh, I love baseball trades and one of the reasons why that tells you <laughs> it, it, it may it may not be as ridiculous as it sounds usually usually when both fan bases say no way, no way would we do that it usually is an ind- indication that it's actually kind of fair um, kind of close um so and again, this is one example but but this, sure. is, this is how we're looking at the marketplace where, yeah, the Cardinals have an abundance of position players. That was the case at the beginning of the offseason. Trading O'Neill did not totally change the chessboard in that regard. Um, so I, I would say on the Cardinals and getting a starting pitcher, not now, but stay close. And, and, and I would say this very importantly, don't get the one-year rental. I, like Corbin Burns from a division rival for a half a season – is not going to happen. So don't even, don't even worry about that. It's, it's going to be more of one of those out-of-division trades like Seattle, um, I think like the Marlins, potentially like Dylan Cease, a guy that's got multiple years of control. So, yes, by all means, study the Mariners' arms. Kirby's probably not going anywhere, but Gilbert and Wu and Miller, study the Marlins' arms, whether it's Luzardo, uh, Cabrera's another na- name to watch, Garrett's one more. So look at those guys. Uh, And I just gave you seven names when you add in Cs of guys that are controllable. Keep an eye on them as we get towards July 30th, which is the trade deadline this year.
4: John, final one from me. You mentioned both Gorman and Walker's name. What are the ceilings that you anticipate for both of those players?
3: I mean, when things click, they're all-stars. They really are. I mean, and, and you look at it and, you know, Edmund's been at that all-star level, and I look at their offensive profiles being at least as impactful as what Tommy can do. Uh, and, I, and I love Tommy as a player. He's one of my favorites to watch in the game because of his versatility and the way he plays the game. So I, I think that this team, that's the thing about the Cardinals. I, as bad as it was last year, they've got, I think, in both Walker and Gorman, potential all-stars. Mason Wynn has got, like, a Sean Dunstan arm at shortstop. I mean, like, he can really fling it from over there, which I love. I just love watching him play defense. So he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. This team, again, as bad as it was, everybody, I love coming to see baseball games in St. Louis. You know, my grandfather was a Cardinal fan, so I've always, always got a soft spot in my heart for the Cardinals. Like, it's, I can't wait to come there for some showcase games here on MLB Network where the ballpark is rocking and the team is in it again because those trades they made will help. And as bad as last year was, the clarity at the deadline helped the Cardinals make some moves that got them younger and more athletic, and we're going to see that on the field at Busch Stadium this year.
0: John, no chance Frambois Valdez gets traded, right?
3: I would doubt it. I think the Astros are still trying to win. Dana Brown Dana Brown loves to go for it. He's not the kind of guy that's going to tear up a team that keeps making the ALCS. So I think uh, I would say, for now at least, cross from Valdez off the wish list, but it is interesting they have not signed Valdez, nor have they signed Tucker long-term. So the, the Astros have some pretty big decisions to make.
0: He's John Morosi, MLB Network and NHL Network broadcaster, one of the absolute best in the business. We always love talking of, with him whenever we get the opportunity to do so. Hey, John, appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and your family. Hopefully we'll talk with you again soon as we get closer to the Major League Baseball season and certainly whenever you get out here to see a Cardinals game.
3: You got it. And whenever Jimmy Snuggerud or Shane Vensagi scores a hat trick, you call me right away, okay? Oh, you know oh, I'll be doing will. that, John. We'll be giving you, John Morosi a it. call. <laughs> Sounds great, guys. I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Thanks. <laughs> That's John Morosi,
0: one of the best in the business. Always appreciate his time here on 101 ESPN. All right. Uh, uh, once again, a ton to get to there. I, I want to start by talking about what he said with the Cardinals basically buying their time to the deadline. <laughs>
1: good one sure
0: we'll get into that coming up next on 101 ESPN
1: we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN
0: All right, we're gonna get to the Cardinals here in just a moment but big news in the world of college football according to ESPN.com Washington's Kalen DeBoer is expected to be named the next head coach with the University of Alabama. He is uh, negotiating his deal right now. Again, this is according to ESPN.com from Chris Lowe, who broke the story originally that Nick Saban was going to be retiring. So I'd say it's a pretty reliable source, to say the least. This comes, by the way, earlier this morning. uh, Kalen DeBoer does a weekly radio hit on 93.3 KJR up in Seattle. They tweeted this out this morning. Husky fans, we know you were looking forward to a visit with Coach DeBoer this morning. Please understand that Coach DeBoer and UW Athletics are continuing to work towards a future we can all be excited about. At this time, Coach will not be joining us this morning, but we will reschedule our interview soon. We'll have fun. Maybe they can interview him when he's in Alabama. That was yeah, at again. 8 a.m., and now he is reportedly under negotiations, to be the next Alabama head coach. What do you guys think about this? Do you think it's a good fit? Weird hire. Uh, I don't know if it's a good fit. I mean, you're doing exactly what we
4: talked about, like go outside and just get somebody. And with the success Washington just had, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, hype for that. But I, that's we, it's just a weird hire to me. I, I would have felt like you'd go more along the lines of kind of Nick
0: Saban-esque, and they are going – Complete different direction. So, Kalen DeBoer is an excellent football coach. In his college football career, he is 104 and 12. He went 25 and 3 at Washington, 12 and 6 in his time at Fresno State, built that thing up in a significant way. And while he was at Sioux Falls, he was 67 and 3. Again, a fantastic football coach. There is no doubt about it. And a great offensive mind. And he showed an ability to put together a really good coaching staff in his time at Washington. My concern is the fit. And sometimes this stuff doesn't matter. Like, I I don't know that I would have expected Matt Rule to be a great fit at Baylor, for example. He did an awesome job while he was there, despite being at Temple, and now he's at Nebraska. So Matt Rule works, regardless of the region in which he coached. Kalen DeBoer has zero ties to the Southeast. He grew up in South Dakota. He spent most of his career in. On the West Coast at Fresno State, Washington, and then uh, had some time a little bit in the Midwest with Southern Illinois and Eastern Michigan. But, man, most of his career has been somewhere in, like, the Midwest to West Coast. It, it's, it's a different world in the Southeast and specifically in Alabama. Great football coach. I like the hire. They could have done a lot worse than Kalen DeBoer. He's an excellent football coach. The fit is just a little interesting to me, and I, I will be curious to see how that ends up.
5: Yeah, I, I'm with you. The fit is interesting because, like you said, no ties to the Southeast Conference. And, and honestly, I, I don't think he was in their top five of choices, if I'm being completely honest. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I think uh, we all know I think their number one choice was the guy from Oregon. Outside of that, I think they still would have liked to well, target. I
0: think it was one. Sark, I think, was two. I think Norvell was three. I think this yeah. is probably four.
5: Maybe. I, I, I don't know I because it, it just feels odd. It feels like an odd hire. And going out to the Pac-12 where, look, he built up this Washington program, and they were really good here in his two years there last year and then this past year. Of course, they got to the college football playoff. But can he build a sustainable winner? And not just a sustainable winner. I mean a winner that is winning 11 12 games constantly. You're right. He showed that he can build a coaching staff. Hell, he did a great job in the transfer portal where he was able to lure Michael Penix over from Indiana by hiring his offensive coordinator. I'll be curious to know if he can recruit to another level because doing this at Washington, (laughs) doing this at Washington, look, I I said this, we were talking about this off air, and we mentioned this going into the playoff game. They're not a blue blood program. They're going to go through waves like Missouri where it is like, hey, you're going to have a two to five year stretch where you're probably really good. And then there's going to be kind of that downturn, and then you'll get back to that point at some point. Alabama is a freaking juggernaut where it is, hey, you need to win 12 games, or we talked about it. Your job's on the hot seat. It's like the same as Ohio State. Ryan Day could win 12 games next year and be fired because he doesn't beat Michigan, and then they lose in the college football playoff. I'll be interested to see if DeBoer is going to be able to be one of these guys. I... I, I think it's interesting. I don't think he's going to fail right away. I just hope Alabama shows patience because I'm not sure he's going to be able to get this to a 12 win program in the first two years. I, I think they're going to have to give him about a four to six year window to try and build this Especially thing. Especially
4: with the amount of guys that are going to be transferring away from Alabama because Saban is gone. Like you're t- stepping into that job, means you better know that is going to be a few years of rough. And I. We all talked about it. Alabama fans aren't going... The state of Alabama is not going to be on board with it being rough for a couple of years. And maybe it's not. Maybe his coaching expertise takes over, but... Uh, I think with the amount of players that look at Alabama now with no Nick Saban and they say, man, there might be a better spot for me to go, that's going to be tough for a DeBoer. Some
0: of them text made a fair point from the 618. Guys, before Alabama, Saban had a very brief history in the SEC as well. He had a brief stint five years at LSU, but otherwise, most of his career was in the Midwest or the North. 100% correct. He... he- Went to Kent State, he's from West Virginia, Kent State is in Ohio, and then spent most of his career in the upper Midwest, uh, coached at Michigan State for a number of years, so that that is true, but he did have that stint at LSU, and so you knew he was successful. Uh, that being said, it, it is a bit of a reminder that if you're a good coach, sometimes the region doesn't matter, and Nick Saban was the best coach that we've seen ever in the history of college football. I don't know that Kalen DeBoer is going to be on that level or not, I would. Say Odds are obviously heavily against it, but Kalen DeBoer can be successful there. It, it's just a really interesting fit. Um, I I would have made this higher. This would have been the same move that I made. When Norvell said no, Sark said no, they didn't get anything done with Lanning, this would have been the move that I would have made because I think it's worth the bet. Because if you don't make this move, now you're going down to like your offense coordinator, Tommy Reese, who was sent away from Notre Dame because nobody wanted him to be there anymore. Or you're making a move for like Lane Kiffin who half of your boosters hate and do not wants to be a part of the Alabama football program. So I, I think this is a guy that they can get behind. He's had proven track record in the past every level of being a winning head coach. I, I think it will work. I think they will be good under Kalen of I don't know if good is enough
5: at great. Alabama.
0: Exactly. And so that that's something that I just don't know. Uh, It'll be one of the biggest storylines, of course, this year uh, in all of college football. All right, so that's the news in college football. Kalen DeBoer, the Washington head coach, is negotiating a contract right now to be the next head coach with Alabama. If you missed it, we did just have a conversation with John Morosi of MLB Network and NHL Network. Really good stuff from him. We also talked earlier today with Buster Olney of ESPN.com. If you missed any of those, check out the full interviews on our podcast page, 101ESPN.com, or the free 101ESPN. They are presented to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, to me, the thing that I found most interesting from John Morosi was what he said about the Cardinals rotation. He said it's good enough to compete in the NL Central. Can it win a seven game series against the likes of the Dodgers? No, he does not believe that will be the case. But what they're doing is buying time to get them to the trade deadline to find out, Okay, where are we light right now? He believes that will be in the rotation, as does everybody in this room right now. My thing that I get frustrated with all the time is it feels like the Cardinals are constantly kicking the can down the road, kicking the can down the road, kicking the can down the road. Sure, we go into the season, we're a little light when it comes to what we have in the rotation. Oh, we'll get that fixed when we get to the deadline, except they never do. Then they get to the offseason. It's like, oh, this is the year. We're ready to up the ante, ladies and gentlemen. You just watch what kind of money we're going to spend. And then they get Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. And then we get to this point in the offseason, it's like, okay, well, maybe we can make a trade. We're not done, boys. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know today is just a day in time. We still have flexibility to go out there and make yeah. another move.
4: Yeah. okay. And cool.
0: then they get to winter warm-up, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Our payroll tapped out, completely tapped out at $170 million on the 26-man payroll. So I have no belief, no faith, no foresight that they're going to make a big-time trade for a top-three starter in their rotation. Why would I believe that? They haven't done that at any point.
4: You remember when you told me not to get – you know, pre-mad at the Cardinals in You're the right. offseason. I'm pretty mad at the Cardinals for the trade deadline because it's the same thing at the trade deadline that it's the same thing in the off season. I don't expect them to upgrade their rotation. Sure, you can throw Jordan Montgomery at me all you want, but that was a player-for-player trade which the Cardinals like when it falls into their lap and they get rid of somebody who's injured or when they get rid of somebody who you know doesn't really matter to them. Not the type of trades that will take place at the deadline, i.e. Nolan Gorman for Logan Gilbert. Those types of trades, I have absolutely Zero confidence in this team saying, you know what? We're weak in starting pitching. You know what we need? A dude. Let's go trade for him. It won't happen. So uh sorry if you're upset with me, but I'm already pre mad that it won't happen at the trade deadline.
0: I'm post mad that they didn't do it in the off season. So yeah. And then I pre mad
4: <laughs> the offseason next year is bad once again.
5: Yeah, I I, I just don't understand. Like what, what surely they're not even telling themselves that in the front office, I would hope. Because well, no, they don't just, have money for that. It's just fool's gold. Well, and look, maybe they're telling maybe they're convincing themselves. In the front office right now. Hey, by the deadline, the RSN situation is going to be. We're going to have an idea. The purse strings are going to open. Yeah. Okay. Saved 500k we'll
4: on Edmund. We'll go get <laughs> or 450. exactly. Yeah. Oh, 450. Sorry,
5: <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll go get that starter. And it's just like guys, you you, you always say that and you never do it. And so I, it's fool's gold to believe you. In also, saying so. you have
0: less ability to pivot when you go make exactly. that move in season. Like if you were to make a trade today. Now, they don't have any money, obviously, because of the RSN issues. You but can
5: look to move a at to free up money. If you made a move today
0: to go get a starting pitcher and it made you light, for example, in the outfield, what you could then do is go back to the free agency market and get another outfielder. It is really hard to do that at the trade deadline where you trade from your position player depth, which makes you worse in one area, to get the starting pitcher that you're looking for, and then you can – Barely replace that position player internally. And so now you're like, okay, well, we got the pitcher, but now our offense stinks. Uh, th- that's where it gets really difficult. And the Cardinals will convince themselves that it's not worth it because they always convince themselves that it's not worth it. Somebody on the text line brought up, guys, a couple of years ago, they got Monty and Jose Quintana. They started game one in, in a postseason series for really? us. They could always do that again. Yeah, if they added the equivalent of Jose Quintana this this trade deadline, it would not be good enough to improve their Pitching staff the way that they need to with this version of the National League. The National League around you has improved from where it was two years ago when you made those moves. And by the way, Montgomery, while a great addition, smart move at the time, continues to be a smart move today. You look back on that, everybody's going to look at back at that trade as a good one with historical hindsight. He, he didn't start a playoff game for them. They wanted to go to Adam Wainwright, who was broken, over Jordan Montgomery. So yeah, that that's not the front end I'm, guy that you're looking for either. I'm either. just glad nobody threw John Lester at us. You
6: yeah, know, I almost got John Lester.
0: They they honestly really need to go out there and get uh, John Lackey, the the equivalent again? of John Lackey, whoever oh. that guy is this year. And I don't know that he's available, but that's what they need. They're missing that guy in yeah, the. The guy rotation. was Chris Sale, and you decided not to they, get. They would fancy tell you, with it.
5: They would tell you Miles Michael's that guy. Coming up in fifteen minutes, we're going
0: to get into our NFL weekend look ahead ahead of a
5: Super Wild Card Weekend. But next one's got to go three
0: one four three nine 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 six four six is the air cover service text line for one's got to go here on one hundred one ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on one hundred one ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for one's got to go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which ones gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that that big penny. 314
0: 399 9646 is the your Comfort Service X line for One's Gotta Go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which ones gotta go here on BK and Ferrario. Let's start with this one from the 314. Guys, one's got to go snow activity edition. You could be uh, having some of these over the next couple of days. None of them. Boy, it is going to be frightful outside. One's got to go sledding, snowball fights, building a snowman, or snowmobiling. Alex, have you ever gone snowmobiling before?
4: No, that doesn't sound very fun to me.
0: I went in the Rocky Mountains uh, in Denver. A couple of years ago, I gotta tell you, it was a blast. Yeah, no, you know what's I'm, really fun is going 40 miles per hour on the side of a mountain. Yeah, in a when snowmobile. it's
4: cold as hell. So, yeah, I'm out on that one. That one's <laughs> yeah. gotta go.
5: I would definitely say the snowmobile one. That one's definitely. Like, at least the go. Other that one doesn't I, sound fun. At
4: least the other one, I just gotta deal with normal wind. I don't have to deal with normal wind on top and of no, going 40 getting, miles an hour. You're
5: still getting ex- like a snowball fight, you're running around. Maybe not so much when you no. build a snowman, but like when you do uh, no. sledding, you gotta go get the. You Walk I, back up the hill with the sled. Stay a little bit warm doing that.
4: I stand in one spot when I snowball fight and just see if you can hit me.
5: Loser.
0: I go sledding. What? Sledding's the one that's got to go. The one thing that like everybody likes to do Tubing's when it's snowing. better up. than sledding. Don't let any of these. Uh, We're not big running sle- around on ice outside. <laughs> oh, you can tube on a. Technically, on that's
4: still called sledding.
0: No, it's it's. It's like not
4: you going down it's a hill in tubing. snow on an object, sledding, tubing, whatever you want to call it. It's the same thing. It's not. It is called tubing, tubing. is when you get pulled on a
0: rope it's behind a boat. Look it up. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service X line for One's got to go. Alex, you grew up by the way in St. Louis. What's your favorite hill?
4: Uh, Art Hill. Art Hill is the okay. spot to go.
0: I should have clarified. What's your favorite hill other than Art Hill? Because that's the answer for everyone. Well, that's like you, saying, what's your favorite it's pizza the, in St. Louis? Well, you Obviously can't just well, if you values. take
4: away the one famous. How many other famous hills are there? <laughs> well, I don't know. This hill on the side of the road, it's a pretty good one.
0: It doesn't have to be <laughs> famous. What's <laughs> the one that you use? I
4: mean, there's one at McKenzie Park that's really good up the street from Ted Drew's. There you go. Uh, that's Chippewa. a good one by Chippewa. Uh, Ted Drew's famous frozen custard. Really is good guys and gals. Um, I don't know. There's a couple by my house where we lived down on the hill that were really good, but they don't have names like Art Hill does. The random hill on the side of Loft Pearl. That was a really cool one to do. <laughs>
5: the one in only is called The Dam, and that's it.
4: Yeah, The Dam, Could you say the whole time down. Damn, 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 damn. <laughs> <laughs> damn, that's the Sody shout. I'll never forget. <laughs> shout out to my mom. We were in the backyard when we were younger. She went down a hill that we had. <laughs> She was on one of those circular sleds, you know, that when you go down one way and it spins, she went down one way and then it spun and it turned her backwards and her face plant right into the concrete foundation. Tubing, my
0: friend. 3 one 4 3 is the air comfort service text line for One's Gotta Go. One's Gotta Go NFL Final Four, Ravens, Bills, 49ers, or Cowboys. I'll get us started here. Bills, I have more confidence in the Ravens, the 49ers, and the Cowboys than I do at this point with the bills we got to look at what the bills actually did down the stretch ladies and gentlemen they beat some really trash opponents and then had a really nice win in there most of what they did in the final five games of the season eh, it's not as impressive as, as what we're giving them credit for so uh bill gotta go
4: yeah Bills gotta go it's a simple one now if you were to tell me the uh, the one gotta go the team that's most likely to ish the bet it would be the cowboys uh, but the Bills are probably the one that has to go out of this group. Is
5: it weird that I would say Baltimore? Like, oh I, wow,
4: really? I, th- I do think Baltimore could lose a game, I, and nobody's I, be like, "What the
5: hell?" I, I'm just thinking like the excitement of what those teams would be in the final for. Like Dallas, has got a really good roster, and you, you get the Mike McCarthy experience with yeah. it. Uh, San Francisco, I think, is just the best all around team in football. With the Bills, there's the glass case of emotion and Josh Allen, where in the first half he could throw five picks and yet somehow they win the football. I could game argue the he, same thing
4: with Lamar Jackson with three fumbles. When I
5: think like <laughs> Baltimore and like their offense, I don't think like a lot of star power outside yeah. of Lamar. Like Zay Flowers, like he's good, but he's inconsistent. OBJ's old and washed up. Uh Mark Andrews is getting ready to return, so maybe it makes the offense more exciting. Defensively they got a good squad, but I, I don't know if they have like a superstar on defense. I think their like, defense
4: is the part that gets I, you excited. I think they're just
5: a Good, they're a great team, but with just a bunch of really like, un, I don't want to say unknown names, but just good names that you know, like Roquan Smith, Flowers. No like superstar out of, outside Lamar. So I'd yeah. say Baltimore.
0: All right, one's got to go. This breaks the rules. It's only three, not four, but I'll say it anyways. One's got to go NFL wildcard weekend reunion storylines Tyreek Hill versus Kansas City. Mike McCarthy versus the Packers or Goff versus Stafford. Which one of those is the least appealing to you? This is
5: easy for me. I think it's McCarthy versus the Packers. Totally I, agree. I, just, I don't care. It's been
0: like, what? If Rodgers was still there, it would hold a little bit more weight yeah. because that was but part of the storyline. But it's
4: been like 10, 15 years.
0: Since McCarthy left? Yeah. How been long, like long is it? No way. Yeah, yeah it's I it's only think been McCarthy five. got fired in like 2019.
4: Okay. Well, when were they good with McCarthy?
0: I mean, I think they went to the Super Bowl in 13. That feels like a long time ago. Yeah, they got fired in 2018. So, okay.
4: so six years ago,
0: five, yeah. That <laughs> feels like forever.
5: Yeah, I, it, it just doesn't have like any luster around. Yeah. it. Yeah, like co- they coaches the are.
0: NFC Championship game in twenty seventeen.
5: Yeah. What, what makes the other two? <laughs> I just don't remember that. What makes the other <laughs> two so exciting was like Tyreek Hill was like. <laughs> well, it's recently. Yeah. Yeah, recently, but he was like the guy in Kansas City. Like you think of that offense. That offense was awesome, and then Tyreek wanted out essentially. And no, I said he was them.
4: the little brother to <laughs> Mahomes and. Kelsey, and and then you think of the Stafford
5: and Goff one. Like nobody would ever seen that trade coming, because everybody thought Stafford's a guy in Detroit, Goff's a guy in L.A., and the Rams just said, "No, we're giving up on like the number one overall pick." And we'll take on Matthew Stafford. And they gave up Goff. And Goff has had like a resurgence in Detroit. I think that's the most compelling storyline of the weekend outside the Tyreek uh, Hill. Yeah,
4: I agree. I think Stafford, and, Stafford one, and Goff is number one for me.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Grand France is doing a fantastic job for us back in the studio today. We are broadcasting live at the ENV Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. And coming up next, we're going to break down NFL's Super Wild Card Weekend the way that only we can. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com.
0: all right let's get to it it is super wild card weekend in the nfl and we're going to give you our fastest three minute breakdown in the history of sports radio alongside alex and t-bone i'm pretty fast let's go in order in which these games are going to be played the first one is tomorrow 330 on nbc it is browns at the texans alex i feel like this is a legit 50 50 game the spread is down to one and a half in favor of the browns on the road in houston do you have a lean in this one alex and how do you think it's going to go
4: i think the browns are winning i think it's going to be a one-point game. I think it's going to come down to a field goal that's going to end it, but I think the Browns got this one. Even though I'd love to see C.J. Stroud just light it up, I think that defense is too good for Houston to be able to win without Tank Dell. So I'm taking Browns.
5: Yeah, I'm going Browns as well. I think the defense is too good. They can slow down C.J. Stroud enough, and then I just don't trust the Texans' defense to be able to stop. I can't believe I'm saying this Joe Flacco in that Browns offense. So I, I like Cleveland in this. Texans one.
0: are two years away from being a legitimate contender. Yeah. They've got the quarterback. They've got a number one receiver in Nico Collins. They are putting together the rest of the pieces right now. Browns win this one by a touchdown. Chiefs against the Dolphins later that night. It's going to be the frozen tundra out in Kansas City as it's going to be negative 30 degrees. You couldn't pay me to go to this game. I think it's going to be ugly. I think it's going to be low scoring. I think the Chiefs find a way to pull this thing out 23 to 20. I I think the uh dolphins find a way to cover though alex how do you feel about chiefs dolphins on peacock
4: okay i didn't appreciate you doing that chiefs winning this one uh i don't think the dolphins are healthy and i think it's minus 30 degrees the dolphins can't stay warm so uh chiefs walk away from this one i think it's going to be like a 10-7 game
5: yeah I, i think chiefs win as well i just don't trust the dolphins they're frauds even if they were healthy going to kansas city they have beaten a good team outside of Dallas this year and felt like that was just a one-off as well. Give me the Kansas City Chiefs.
0: Steelers at Bills. It's going to be ugly weather. It is on CBS. It's noon on Sunday. Do We don't need to have any discussion about this, right? Everybody's yeah. taking the Bills. 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 Uh, Packers at the Cowboys. Cowboys are a seven-point home favorite in this one. 3.30 Sunday on Fox. I think this is going to be a little closer than people are expecting. I think it's got a chance to be a very high-scoring game. Packers have been really good offensively lately. I just don't think they can find a way to stop CeeDee Lamb. CeeDee Lamb goes off for 100-plus yards through the air. I think Dak has a big game. Give me the Cowboys by 10 points ends up being feeling closer than that throughout the I game.
4: I don't think this is going to be a close game. I think Jordan Love is going to fall back into reality that I think he is, and that's an average quarterback. I think the defense against Jordan Love are going to have success. Cowboys, I think this one, this one easily.
5: I think Cowboys win. I think Mike McCarthy tries to blow it. I, I, I think I, well, that's I really believe I, it may end up being a 10-point game but it maybe we look at it and go, D- why are you throwing the ball under two minutes and they don't have a timeout again? Mike, Mike McCarthy, on. Rams at the
0: Lions the Lions hosting a playoff game for the first time in my lifetime, which is unbelievable. T-Bone's never seen something like this before. Detroit, they've got Jared Goff. I think he's going to have a big game. Rams don't have the defense to stop him. I think the Rams put up big points. I think this one's like 34-31, high scoring, ball flying all across the yard. Lions find a way to pull this one out
4: same i, I think the, the laporta injury is going to be the important factor into this but i'm not sure the rams are going to be able to handle all of those weapons even without laporta i think it's going to be a high scoring one i would take the over but the lions
5: easy whose house it's the rams house this weekend they're going on the road they're taking down detroit those sec- that secondary couldn't stop me as a wideout, and they're going up against puka cooper cup kyron williams going to have a big game the rams defense isn't great it's good enough to get them past the Lions. I like the LA Rams on the road. And with we'll an upset. talk about
0: the Eagles versus the Bucks on Monday. I'm starting to think that A.J. Brown is not going to play in this game. I'm starting to think A.J. Brown has played his final game as an Eagle. We'll get into that a little bit more on Monday morning. We will talk to you guys then. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101ESPN app is where you go to find it. We had great conversations with Buster Olney and John Morosi. Those are all over there on the podcast page. For Alex and Tanner, I'm BK. Grant Francis did a great job for us back in the studio today we will talk to you guys on monday at 11 a.m fast lane coming up next
1: you've been listening to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn